0: It's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you gotta check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the Reptile World's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our buy it now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad. It also gets fed to the reptile report and our powerful marketplace Facebook page. Buying or selling? Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live, on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit thereptilereport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder. Then visit shipreptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related.
1: Every or I should say good afternoon. Uh, I don't evening, know what to say. It, it, because...
2: it, it's evening. It's evening.
1: Good early evening, everyone. Yes. Good twilight <laughs> to you. <laughs> um, yeah. We are in the middle of a major storm. It happens this way every single time that we have. Well, we have a couple uh, bumps in our road tonight, but um, it seems that every time every we time have, we time get
2: the... excited about a show. Something happens, like you know, uh, the, the blog talk goes off when we were talking to um, uh, one of the Python hunters. Uh, I forget which one. Um, we we had technical difficulties. Oh yeah, that was. First couple of times we were talking to Peter Birch over, uh, and, and oh man, Damien Hyde, had you mean... Damien Hyde, right? I yeah. can't they're all Australians. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all a blur. <laughs> They're all all a blur with you people.
3: Three goddamn years. Okay, of so I can't keep all of you straight.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a yeah, right. There's a major storm right in our area that's just coming above us. Lightning, thunder. Uh, before the show went live, you know, and we're kind of having a hard time hearing each other, and so there's a possibility that the show might just drop dead. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Which this which is, is okay because Eric we, has we can... been hit by lightning.
2: lightning <laughs> oh my God, I Eric! On wood. Until, yeah, I mean, if, if lightning has hit Eric, that means we're all dead because he usually hits the tall things in the area first. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. the other uh, little kink in the road tonight is that Paul Harris is sick. Um, <clears throat> so it will just be Nick. That's joining us, which he hasn't called in yet, but uh, that's fine. Um, So we're going to have to reschedule with Paul. um, But we still have Nick, and Nick has a lot to talk about, I'm sure, uh, as far as Australian pythons go. But uh, so that's kind of where we're situated at. Uh, I guess until, I don't know, do you want to talk about it, Owen, or do you not want to talk about it? The big elephant in the room. What elephant in the room? It's <laughs> a big elephant in the room.
2: <laughs> I don't well, know what you're talking about. I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, I'm just going to. I refuse to acknowledge uh, bullshit.
2: So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we can skip over it because today in the mail no, I got. Uh, I, <laughs> I just want you to. <laughs> oh, you want me to be the one? Okay. Yep. <laughs> the uh, yesterday. <laughs> In the world of Morelia there was uh, <laughs> uh quite a bit of drama uh, I guess you would say and uh you know the whole thing with I the, never keep the goddamn drama
2: <sighs>
1: Yeah it seems like it's ever rampant as of late But uh the whole oh my goodness man it is lightning bad Um told you the no, uh, on air we're going to die on air <laughs> uh Zach, if I go, my snakes are yours. (laughs) Son of a bitch. No, I – no. Except for for the ones (laughs) – well, you're going to die too, man. I thought you said we were dying on air.
3: Well, you might. I mean, I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. If if I I I die on air. You know, when you – oh, and you – if you survive, you can have my snakes. (laughs) Ah, Victory. There you go. All right. Anything uh, (laughs) IJ-related, you are not allowed to have. Well, I don't want it <laughs> to throw that outside. <laughs> yeah, that must uh, that must move uh, to uh, to Mr. Bias, but uh, okay. So anyway, um, yeah, so there was a uh, <clears throat> a auction page started, um, mm-hmm. which. Uh, I don't know. I guess there's a, there's a whole multitude of, whole multitude, oh my God. Dude, it sounds yeah. like the end of the world.
2: <laughs> I know, like, anyway, there was a multitude of posts put all over the place about the auction. And of course, being an auction is a touchy subject. Uh, a lot of people did get frustrated and vent their frustrations and then get angry and vent their anger. There's a lot of back and forth. Um, I ran away from the internet. (laughs) Um, I, I unplugged and ran. I ran. I sent Eric in there to die. So, um, but of course it was one of those things that, uh, you, you, you knew anybody should have known going in and and it, it really can't. If this is a shock to anybody who is involved with the auction phase, that it was met with some hostility, clearly have not been paying attention to anything. Um, a lot of people are against the auctions. A lot of people do not like the way that it works. And a lot of people are uh, fearing that looking at other um, species that have crashed, it kind of went down with... Uh, um it kind of went down with the auction pages. So a lot of we had Jamie Kearns on uh, last week, and he said that once leopard geckos and other kind of gecko breeders started doing auction pages, the prices kind of crashed. and I like what he the phrase he uses of uh, racing everybody to the bottom. and uh, yeah, it, it can it can kind of be met with that. and of course, other people are running around saying, well, we auction all horses. How is this any different? Um there's a little bit of a difference, um, um, especially with the whole, you know, there's the reserve, and then people are saying it's the best way to get the pulse in the market, which is fine. And yes, you can get a pulse on what people are willing to pay through an option, but you're you're also selling yourself short, in my opinion, by attempting to publicly destroy the price gauge on an animal, and that's uh, that's uh, I don't like that, and. Uh, personally, of course, we all, nobody ever pays the prices. People run around and say nobody ever pays the prices that are listed on the table, and that's fine. Through a relationship, through another breeder, of course you can have, you know, I, I don't pay full price when I buy from friends of mine, and I don't sell at full price when I sell to friends of mine, but that's not the listed price that I have to the public to see. You know, it's, it's the way it is. And, and of course, you know, How I feel about it is not going to stop anybody from doing it or having the option pages, but I understand it's just going to be—it's something that I wish the morality community could tread lightly on, and I doubt it's going to happen that way. So,
1: well, I guess I have a couple, couple of points that I would—is it hitting your house, Owen? I mean, like literally, I think I'm in the middle of a tornado you
2: I actually got called by some of my insureds saying that they are getting a uh, forecasts of hail down by you, which is I'm glad I moved. So um the uh you're getting worse than I am. I know you are. Um and I'm only like an hour away, so but I, I've wow. been told you guys get worse. Even though I am in a hill morning from now till five o'clock. Oh, I'm sorry, from now till I guess I don't know when. Nine so, o'clock. Yeah. Nine o'clock
1: probably. Yeah. Well, we're on here talking about the weather, but you know how people get mad when we talk (laughs) about the weather. (laughs) Um, I I guess my feeling on the whole, yeah, I guess my feeling on the whole auction thing is, is, uh, I don't know. It just seems like, uh, man, it just seems like we, that, that, that we were better that, like, that. we we were more selective in breeding and and more selective in that kind of thing to where you never really needed that kind of, it just seems to me like it's a, it's a cheap way to get rid of or get rid of uh, snakes that you maybe produce too many of uh, just simply to um, not look like you're dropping the price drastically. You know what I mean? Um, I just think that, uh, I don't know, man. I missed the days of uh, you know. I put this in one of the posts on there. I just missed the days of when you were on MP. Um, you just kind of like you saw people's animals and you got excited about the pairings and the specific animals that they had. And um, you know, you you just you would be lucky if you got on the list and to get animals from it. And uh, you know. It just seems like maybe that I don't know. There's still people that that do that, but it seems like maybe that disappeared a little bit. I don't know if it's because of Facebook or Well, I don't I know what, want the, to sp- I want to what the point that, is. But yeah. like Well, I, I
2: know it still happens, but I also want to imagine that it disappeared where it's not like one or two guys are producing animals that you want. Like if I'm sitting here and I want Uh, something on my list to get this year is probably an exantic because I have my Xantic Jag and I'm running into the problem of, I have too many Jaguars. So doing certain pairings are running into Jag the Jag. So I want to get a normal Xantic boy. So now it used to be only one person would ever come up with the thing that you wanted and you had to make sure you got on their list and you have to wait and you have to sit and you have to make sure your top dollar right there, go on their list waiting now it's like he's going to have it, he's going to have it, he's going to have it, he's going to have it. So why am I going to get put on a list where I'm going to wait for everybody to produce their clutches, and I'm going to see what's the best of the best. But see, that's right. where I differ from a lot of people. I know where to go, and you know I know who I want it from, so I'm still going to go put my name down. Like I probably don't have to, but I'm still going to go do it because I want to make sure I get that one from that person. Luckily, Nick's on tonight, so I'll just tell him to put me down on the list today. So, it's,
1: it's, uh, <laughs> Yeah. I it, think, it's, I think, and, La-
2: and, you know, those things still might happen behind closed doors. You don't know. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think Lon summed but, it up best. Um, he said, if your animal was worth buying, it, it would go for what you're asking price rather than playing Wheel of Fortune with its value. You know? Yeah.
2: Oh, a real fortune with its value. It, you, that's exactly <laughs> what you're doing. And a lot of people, I heard someone say that, well, uh, oh, they could go for more than what it's worth. Bullshit. Bullshit. No, <laughs> the that only that time never happens. you ever see an animal go for higher than its inherent value is in a charity auction.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> it's my passion isn't flying because I'm about getting electric. <laughs> so, <laughs> let, let this Unkegling as soon as storms pass, the storm's I'm, pass. I'm, I'm unkegging the, the dynamite. You know, I don't know. I, you saw a lot of thing on there about, um, you know, tiers of breeders and such, and like uh, hired these breeders, and you, and these new breeders can't compete with them, and but the the higher tier breeders. We're an always the higher tier and god damn it, man. If you want to put your name out there, then do something about it. Stop being you know, stop being this like uh, you know, I can't uh nobody knows who I am. I, I Nick will tell you, he told me that a long time ago. He's like, Man, you're buying all these high dollar snakes, but nobody how knows who the hell you, lose, you are, dude. How you didn't lose
2: your shit when that comment was made, I don't know.
0: Because again,
2: I ran away from the internet, but it's like it, the, 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 the the idiocy of that argument is that I have to lower my prices in order to compete with the guys who have a name because I can't draw in people.
1: So build a name, <laughs> dumbass.
2: Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to start anything. I don't want to be that guy. But it's like, are you freaking kidding me? Do you think anybody knew who I was when I had a bunch of carpet pipes on three tables down from Jason Baling? No.
3: It works yeah. right back. Right. But you have to take your freaking licks. You have to go to the
2: shows. You have to not sell for a while. You got to work your way up. You got to build relationships. You got to talk to people. You bring your freaking adult Jaguar Carpet Python to a show, and everyone starts talking to you. And then you build a rapport. You start getting customers. You wait till the baby's got right. the color. I have to cut prices because I don't have a name. Then build your damn name. God damn it. I'm sorry. Yeah, and trying to get
1: pissed off. And here, you're you're fired up more than me. But here's an idea. I I don't know. You know, uh, there's an event that comes. Maybe well, there's a there's one on the on the west coast, and there's one on the east coast. And you know, I don't know. Maybe you could attend it and get to meet. So, oh, what what is that event called, Owen? It's carpet. Um, You idiot. (laughs) Oh, that's it. That's right. I forgot about that you know so just no, saying i mean
3: and i don't understand the one that the one that absolutely kills me is like what do you mean
2: you can't build your name
3: there there wasn't half the shit
2: that that, that you have at your fingertips when i started and that was only like, 10 years ago yeah there was empty and there was nothing there was no facebook page there were no pictures there were no uh, there was no Carbon Fest, there was no Marley button Radio, there was no goddamn book. And
1: you're telling me you can't <laughs> do this it's because you're lazy and you don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah. it comes down to. Right. But we, it's, we, it's we, a... We,
2: we. The goddamn
1: hernia. God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but uh, let's get Nick on here. If I can click him on, I don't know, my computer might not work. It might be frozen, <laughs> let's say. He'll
2: this might be get what killed you.
1: Yeah. This will be the death of me. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Nick, you hear me?
3: Am I on? Yeah. yeah.
1: You're on. All right, I'm Nick. All turned sure be off <laughs> because we're in the middle of a torrential storm. So.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I'm uh, trying something new this time. I'm so far behind with stuff. I'm actually going to have to. I'm going to have to clean at least 200 adult carpet pythons while simultaneously doing the show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> So I'm literally I'm literally talking to you, and listening to you on Bluetooth headphones because my cell phone doesn't even work in my snake building because it's made out of steel. So it's got to go from my headphones to my phone by the door, from there to a cell phone tower, and then to a satellite where you're on. A, it's like an, all office stuff in between your stores. We'll, we'll see how well this goes. But uh, gotta, with, with everything going on, I, I can't. I cannot sit down. I got. Uh, I get this and I do this to myself every year where. The snakes just never seem to want to lay clutches in, like, a nice kind of graduated, metered out kind of way. It's always, like, just all at once, and then they all hatch. So I went from having zero 2015 babies to having a 100 of them in 72 hours. Holy I'll crap. Have, I'll have 200 bab- within. I'll go from zero to, like, 200 babies in two weeks, in, like, a two-week window. It's just ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, so I can't even keep up with making labels alone, you know, just for all of them. It's, it's crazy. So. <laughs> So that's wow. What's going on? So I'm gonna have to clean while uh, cleaning some adults while uh right. while we talk. But yeah, I, you
4: guys I tried. No to do worries, fine. Gets me a
3: little fired up today. Uh, I I I, I, let I, let it, I
2: let it I let it get away from me. I'm I'm good now. I promise.
3: <laughs> Jeez, Owen, you need to switch the cap or something from the center. I try. You know, <laughs> yeah. Little,
2: little, little wired wire there, man. It's, uh, just, uh, yeah, no freedom. Uh It's totally, yeah. why, why, why I run away from the internet. I really shouldn't be let out places. So. Oh, man, I hear you. Yeah,
3: it's, uh, the, it'll put you off. I don't know. The auction thing it, it, it probably was an eventual inevitability, really. Mm. Like you said, but, uh, I don't know. I'll... I'm a little I, – I, I try to well, not you, talk yeah. about reptile markets and stuff if I can possibly avoid it.
2: You know? Yeah, I'm I'm probably going to adopt that rule. So
3: well, yeah, it's kind of – I mean, it pisses me off more than it makes me happy, the, the market in general, typically. It's usually – when you're talking about it, it's usually – you're never talking about it because you're really stoked. It's always because you're angry, usually. <laughs> that's, the, that's the nature of the free market, though. I'm very, I guess, I'm a, a big supporter of a free market, but it does piss me off quite a bit on a pretty regular basis.
4: What are you gonna do, right?
1: We sell luxury reptiles. Uh, uh, not exactly a necessity item. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a touchy subject because you have, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. I kind of have that people make fun of me. I say, you do you boo, but you know, I mean, you're going to do what you're going to do and that's fine. But uh, I don't know. It just seems silly that the, the new group of, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't even know how to say it. Like they just, I don't know. It's just a different vibe. Like this one person is arguing on face. It's almost like, I think they're trolling. This one person's arguing on Facebook. Right. And they don't even own a carpet Python. Like, how do you have any clue? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Just, I, I don't get Thank that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and That's I try mean. not to argue with these types of people, but...
3: Not having, uh, it's the Internet. It's the Internet. Not having any direct knowledge or experience of the subject matter does not exactly stop people from arguing, does it? Yeah,
2: exactly. No. No, it doesn't. Not at all
3: uh I don't know, I think it's like a lot of things, when prices come down and stuff, people are somebody's always really thrilled. The person that got it is that thinks they say, uh, everybody has this double standard and we all do, I do, everybody does. Everybody wants everything to be really cheap when they buy it and really expensive when they sell it. They want it to they don't mind when the price comes down when they can afford to get something and then as soon as that happens they want it to never drop again ever. Uh, <laughs> What we all want. we wanted to like,, oh, we bought it at this price. we like that commodity, if you look at it as a commodity anyway to say exactly the same price for eternity thereafter, which of course is an unrealistic expectation system. Uh, we're certainly not immune the laws of supply and demand. yeah, so,
1: <laughs> yeah right
3: uh, yeah, um, so we got- purpose does, is a little different though, in that you have no other area of the restaurant market you see. Such a premium place on the quality of the example of a given thing. If things that have been around for a long time. I, mean, I sold normal Jag for a hundred bucks. I mean, and would happily do so again if they're not exceptional in any way. I, at this point, I don't think it's even. I don't think. I think it's actually impossible for me to make a normal Jag. I, don't, I actually can't even make a normal. Well, I can't. Everything's a exantic Jag or a super caramel Jag. It's always. I can't make. By design, I, I. Cannot make one. Every Jag breeder I have is either a Super Caramel or a Visual Example, so I can't, there isn't, but if I did, I mean, I would say, like, you could get a, I could tell you actually a pretty decent Jag for a $100. bucks. they have been around for, you know, quite a long time, you know, and that's all well and good, but there's still people who'll pay $1,000 for a Gamma Jag, which, to me, I mean, I believe in the free market, but that seems completely absurd to me, but the free market, but we're the only areas of the reptile market I can think of where people you have the exact, the same morph, the same snake essentially, but some people pay ten times that amount. The the low and the high can I mean be ten times that dollar amount for what people deem to be an exceptional quality example. I mean, look at jungle carpet. Right. I mean, you got you can get a fifty dollar. You don't have to look very hard to find a fifty dollar jungle carpet, but you can also get a five hundred dollar jungle carpet. And the five hundred dollar jungle carpet still sells even though there's plenty of fifty there's probably more fifty dollar no, jungle carpets are five hundred dollar ones, but they always sell. So we will we're such a you know, if you look at I think a lot of other species too, but if you're buying ball pythons, you're paying for the morph. And it doesn't people don't give a crap. I mean, they're not gonna pay you much more hardly any you're not gonna get really any premium to speak of if it's a really awesome example. They want gene A and gene B in the same snake, and that's really what the value of it's based on, and everything else is a a very, very distant consideration, whereas carpets, it's like the quality of the phenotype of the example makes all the difference, and so
4: we're
2: a
3: little different in that regard. So, like, I mean, I've seen, I saw, in the last week, I've seen, well, in the last 72 hours, I have seen a couple of just absurdly low prices on a zebra, just ridiculous, in my estimation, anyway, but... You know what? I really, but at the same time, I hardly give a crap because I'm gonna get whatever I'm asking for my nice ones, and if they were, if there's some, they aren't that great of lookers, or they're not pure jungle, or whatever. I mean, it's like it's not. I don't know. People will pay more for quality with carpet market anyway than you see in to a greater extent than you see typically in other guess, sectors of the reptile market. I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: an albino ball is an albino ball, and they sell for that same price, doesn't matter who you get it from or what it looks like. Market. Right. You know, you've got—is it pure? Is it mixed? Is it an exceptional example of, the, of, the, of what it's supposed to be? Do you have all the ancestry information? There's so many other variables that we worry about. The other sectors of markets don't really worry about. Uh, so they, uh, you know, we've been, it's a little different, I guess. Not entirely different, but a little different. So.
4: <laughs> right. I don't
3: know. I also gave up worrying about this shit a long time ago. Uh, it's a uh, if you, I mean, I would, I would do nothing but sit around worrying about market conditions. If I, you can't, you almost like can't even worry about it. Just make what you're going to make, and worry about it when you got some babies to worry about. It's like not even. <laughs> there's so much stuff right. going on and so many moving parts. I can't even. I don't know. Every year, part of me thinks like, what am I going to do with all these babies? And you know what? At the end of the year, they're all gone. By and large, I mean, they always seem I always seem to find a home for them. So I just quit worrying about it. <laughs> Nick, we
1: we have to put something to rest. Have you ever produced yes. 900 babies?
3: <laughs>
4: yeah. No. No, I didn't I had, If I had the ability to
1: grow
3: any hair
4: on my head, it would all fall out of the
3: bottom 900 <laughs> <laughs> okay. babies. I don't have any hair No, I, I think this last year I did
4: 638,
3: which frankly is okay. way too many. i, I included that. I don't know what my ideal number or maximum number of babies is, but I know now with quite quite couple, it is below that. That <laughs> is a lot of baby snakes. It's just, you know, you can only, there's only so many hours a day, and I don't want to have employees because I don't, I want to, I mean, I know what's going on with every single baby, every single adult, everything that's going on. So that kind of limits you. If you have a bunch of, you know, people you're paying minimum wage to clean cages and move snakes around, then your reputation is resting on, you know, if someone buys a stake for me, they're buying a stake for me, and I just – all everything. Went into it was me. If you're buying a stake from somebody, to, you know, figure out that they've got a bunch of other people. It kind of how do you? I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm very uneasy about putting my reputation in someone else's hands, which is what you'd be doing. Because it's like, well, if they screw up, it's on you. And if you know, I need to guarantee this and that. And who's the dad of this clutch and that clutch and all that? I just I don't know. I don't want to get to the point where I have to have an employee. Although sometimes we might have somebody to clean the rat. That would be. That would be fine. <laughs> yes, but not the snakes. Uh, so I clean uh, snakes,
1: but I ain't cleaning rats.
3: <laughs> uh, you know, not better scale. It's like it's, well, the cost. Of, I mean, the cost and benefit of raising your own rodents is, you know. Well, so let me tell you, if you got six hundred baby carpets and you're trying to get them all started on frozen foods in their first meal, good luck to you. Uh, that is a nightmare. Right. I had to do it for years. It's horrible. I mean, it's not impossible, but it's way harder rather than you know, doing more traditional. Where you just hey, you got some, at least some live rodents. You're already trying to get them to eat an unnatural prey animal because mice are not even native to Australia. They don't really recognize that as a prey source anyway. You're trying to get them to eat the wrong thing, and then you want it to be dead. So you're trying to eat something – Instead, they want to eat some, you know, live Australian skink, and you're trying to get them to be a dead European rodent. I mean, it's, just, it's a lot easier right. if at least the rodent's moving, you know, at least initially, get the ball rolling, and then you – yeah, usually after a few feeds there off to the races on frozen anyway, but uh, so you got to have that, and I don't know. So I
1: well, 90% of my own rodents anyway. Wow. That raises a question, and then we have a question. My first question would be, um, what do you think... Again, I'm probably going to sound stupid when I say that reptiles are different <laughs> than mammals, but... Um, <laughs> Rat, what do you think of the – would there be any benefits to having uh, a, a, a variety diet, like a variety of different foods uh, in their diet oh, uh, as far as like oh, saying oh. rats, birds, oh, yeah. absolutely. stuff like that?
3: Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, most of these, most animals – no animal – I mean, there's a few dietary specialists you see in the world that eat just a single thing. I mean, but by and large – most vertebrates are not necessarily generalists, but they're going to eat more than one thing. I mean, uh, and the reason um, there's obviously a lot of advantages to being able to eat more than one source of prey if you're a carnivore or whatever is you're getting, you're eating, you're not just eating what you're eating. You're eating what your, what your prey has eaten. So if you're eating more varied diet, nutritionally, you're getting other things, at least on occasion when you're rotating another prey animal, that's not a bad thing. Uh, a really big thing is, a uh, the fat content of what we are feeding our animals. When you feed something nothing but rodents its entire life from cradle to grave, and most rodents themselves are eating nothing but lab block, you're getting no variation in what you're feeding at all, really. And invariably, you know, captive bred rodents that we feed are way healthier than wild animals, wild prey animals. I mean, if you ever seen a caught a wild python, a lot of them look half dead. They're all covered in scars and ticks. They're all beat up and they're thin and mm-hmm. they They seem to get along just fine, but they're out there eating. What are they eating? Some scraggly-ass, half-starved mammal or whatever. I mean, their prey isn't any better looking than they are, and and they're designed to get on with that, and that's fine. But, you know, nutritionally, a wild rodent that's half-starved or a lizard or another snake or whatever is a lot leaner because, because wild prey animals rarely have the luxury of excess body fat, but captive rodents always have that. So we invariably feed fattier prey animals. And metabolically that can cause, you know, that's not a good thing. If you look at the best example I can think of is black-headed pythons. There's a lot of studies of gut tests and stuff. Black-headed pythons in the wild, 85% of their diet is other reptiles. 85%. They just take their reptile eaters that eat the occasional mammal. Reptiles do not store body fat like a mammal does. Mammals are always fattier. So if you eat a reptile-based diet, these are animals that have evolved to be more or less, reptile-eating specialists, and so they've adapted to a leaner diet. And if you feed them, that's why brackets can be problematic. If you feed them too many rodents, too big, if you feed them grow too fast on a all mammal diet, you can have problems and stuff because it's nutritionally not not really a, as good a match for what they're supposed to be eating. You can feed them to brave on mammals, but you can't. You, you kind of got to be careful about it and everything. So I you mean, know, with my blackheads, I rotated an adult quail and things. I've got a. A juvenile female blackhead I just fed a carpet python to, but uh, you do end up hatching the odd. Anybody breeds, you guys both know you get the odd stillborn, you know, conked mm-hmm. out in the egg right at full term. I waste nothing. Right. I've got a <laughs> python that I, it, it is the thing comes with that juvenile blackhead. They'll eat all the any stillborns that hash still or almost hash They'll consume them, waste not, want not. But that's what is that juvenile blackhead going to be eating in the wild? Other snakes, small lizards, perfect you know, there's not a – I mean, having been to Australia three times, you don't see a hyperabundance of small mouth-sized mammals running around. You see a lot of lizards and snakes. <laughs> a lot <Right>. of lizards. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's, it's these things are mostly eating, you know, the anteresia, you know, Stinson's python in particular. I mean, they'll eat anything. So I, I feed them that stuff. It's like that's not the bulk of their diet, but it's like when it, opportunistically, when I have you – know, the situation arises, I absolutely will. absolutely believe they're better for it, better off for it.
1: So, absolutely. Okay. So, So, Tim's question is, um, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, Tim's question is, um, if you have, let's see, do you feed differently when getting a virgin female ready for breeding season as opposed to a proven breeder?
3: No. I mean, you won't. You're kind of looking for the same body condition and everything. I mean, I think a lot of people make a lot of, uh, they, they have this perception that, all oh, like first time breeders, you know, if there's something goes wrong with a, with a reproductive effort, that, oh, if they were virgin, it was like, oh, it's because it was her first time. That's why she slugged out. Or that's why or the male was, you know, shooting blanks and that's why because he was a young male. And they like, I really haven't found that to be true. And by and large, I think people hear a lot of excuses for things, but it's really just, it's just that. I mean, we've all heard the, the pantheon of reptile keeper excuses about stuff, you know. Something -hmm. will die. It's like, oh, you ever heard the one, like, something dies unexpectedly? They say, oh, I think I got a bad batch of rats or something. I've heard that a million times over the years. What does it even mean, a bad batch of rats? It's like, eh, it's probably more bad husbandry than a bad batch of rats, I'm guessing. You know, I I don't know. I've got a, I mean, I've got a I'm big into outcrossing because some of these morphs and stuff, I've had kind of a little rough start and stuff. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that's Something tied to the gene, the morph itself, and you can't really do much about it, i.e., you know, jag neurological issues. And sometimes it, it could be inbreeding yeah, depression. So I've got a very genetically diverse collection, so I've got the ability to do that. So I'm digging out crossing things and stuff. So i going to you know, case in point, like uh, the original Exantic Coastals, eh, kind of a yeah. checkered track record. Uh, I forewent the opportunity to get a visual Exantic because it would have been a really inbred one, and that didn't seem to be, you know. While it would have been faster, it didn't seem like it was uh, likely to be as successful based on what I'd seen. So I got outcross head exanthics, I made my own exanthics. So, so this year I'm breeding examps that I, I made myself from pets because I wanted that genetic diversity and stuff. And you know, all those problems. I have a little tiny male visual exampic jag that he hit knocked up five females at 18 months old.
4: Five. <laughs> I ran out of
3: females. I gave him a female that wasn't even going to breed this year, a virgin super female, and. And this thing is like, you know, 1,400 grams broken away. just hit 11 perfect eggs, no slugs. So, I mean, so much for, you know, first-time animals not doing well and stuff. I mean, I've had, I've had a lot... i come maybe this year I've had better performances on a lot of these first-time animals than some of the proven ones, really. I, I don't... They're ready, they're ready, and if they'll do it, they'll do it. And if they've got, you know, adequate fat reserves and everything else, if you kind of set the stage for success as best you can anyway, And it'll work or it won't. I don't, uh, I don't put a lot of I've never had like, a, you know, a particular male that, you know, oh, was young and then all his legs were no good. It just doesn't seem to, I don't know. I never see that, I guess.
4: Mm. So
3: there's right. any number of reasons for uh, reproductive failure, but I, I never noticed, you know, young animals that not really, you know, really be in one of them.
1: Right. So uh, <clears throat> another question we had come in is that uh, you recently... Um, you had a clutch of bar scrubs. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll to get them more, to get, uh,
3: special? Could have been, been considerably more awesome, I suppose.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you know, I, I put up on my blog, I put that post stuff about that, because I think a lot of people kind of just are very, they're very quick to cheer their own successes, but very reticent to point out when things don't go perfectly. And mm-hmm. Every year I've been doing this for I've been doing reading Python for over twenty years now and you know, full time for uh, on nine and it's uh, every year has its share of triumph and tragedy for sure. It's just kind of you gotta take the good with the bad. I will have there's some things this year I'm just gonna totally hit it out of the park, like uh, better than I had ever expected, and then other things are gonna kinda kick you square in the nuts. And that's kind of the nature <laughs> of it. If you want if you wanted a safe, easy hobby, collect baseball cards, not live animals. You know, so, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that's not, what are you gonna do, right? I mean you're gonna keep on keeping on. The the scrub complex in general, I mean, without a doubt, and I don't think anybody that's kept them is gonna argue with me on this one, they are the hardest Pythons in the world to breed, as a group, collectively. People have success with this or that intermittently, some people even, you know, with some regularity, but as a group as a whole, they are just the hardest you know, even the easiest members of that complex to breed, which are undoubtedly the far next the southern, which should be different species from each other anyway, but even those, they're mm-hmm. not easy to breed. They're just the easiest of a hard group. They're still hard. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people spend too much time patting themselves in the back because they've bred a lot of easy stuff. Like, you, breed, you, know, you do have repeated success breeding scrub pythons. That didn't impress me. That's not easy. Carpets, let's face it, as wonderful as I think they are, they're not too hard. They're pretty agreeable. I mean, some are a little harder than others,
4: but yeah,
3: even worse, it's pretty easy and pretty straightforward to get them to do their thing. Scrubs, it's, uh, it's always that, it's always, I mean, because they calculate like crazy. It always seems like you're kind of that, just on the edge of it, you know what I mean? It's like you're, whatever the recipe is to induce a good breeding, a successful breeding of them, it's like a lot of times you get right up to the finish line and it just, short of success, something goes wrong or, you know, you end up with a, a bad clutch or a marginal clutch or it's they're tough and I don't know, you know, and when they yeah. aren't, when you, when they're bred successfully, it's rarely that anybody did anything special, particularly. It's just, they're, I don't know whether it's just, they're so nervous and high strung and they need to settle down, you know, and feel secure themselves or what, but it's a, they're challenging, but it's important that people keep trying. You know, a lot of these things, us old guys have been doing this for a long time, have a lot longer memory. I think a lot of younger people getting into the hobby now just assume that things that they take for granted that so many of these things are like, so commonly bred and so routinely and easily bred when it was not always that way. I mean, a lot of right. things that you know, people breed. when blood pythons are considered to be difficult to breed. Now people breed them like you know we've domesticated them along with a lot of other things. And now things that historically were considered very difficult to breed now it's just you know very routine and stuff. But it didn't. It wasn't always that way. It's because we made great progress both in our understanding of how to do these things and with multi-generation captive bred lineages. That's frankly breed easier. I mean, they're now started down the road of domestication. And, you know, we have inadvertently selected for easier breeders. The ones that didn't want to breed in the box didn't breed the box, and the only ones that passed their genes along to another generation were the ones that were at least kind of amenable to doing so. And over time, you end up with domesticated lineages and all manner of other stuff. I wrote a piece in my interpretation of my call about that exact subject and kind of this kind of accidental domestication we embarked on. Uh, yeah, that was good. Why? Why these things have become easier to breed over time, and will continue? You know, thing you know, the amount of environmental stimulus that needs to be provided to kind of get them to do their thing. with each generation of captive breeding gets lessened. They're just easier yeah. and easier to. You, know, you don't need to cycle them as much or for as long, and they just they just you know they're slowly but surely becoming non-seasonal. It's like dogs, you know, dogs are all descendants of this. Dogs that are really just selectively bred wolves, and you know, wolves are. Have a totally different social structure. Wolves only reproduce uh, once a year, but dogs come to eat twice a year. We've, uh, you know, it's uh, the same sort of a thing. Now we're seeing like ball pythons have been bred for so many generations. They're effectively nearly a non-seasonal breeder now. Mm-hmm. They'll breed with no environmental cycling at all. They'll breed, they'll lay eggs in any month of the year because we're just literally, we just constantly push that envelope with them. And that's where really, uh, okay. you yeah.
1: Do you think that we'll be um, able to do that with carpets at some point?
3: I know we will. I mean, I mean, my, uh, I mean, I've had a you know, surprise. I've had a kind of a tumultuous relationship with you know Terry there in South Dakota. But I mean, he's Fred Reynolds. I on successfully without doing a whole heck of a lot to him. I mean, and that's what does that tell you? Is it? It's it's not that they never needed that any additional you know a lot of special effects. I guess you could say. But it's like the further mm-hmm. down the road of selective like breeding you get, you everything eventually is just marching towards this less and less a trend of less seasonality, less environmental stimulus, and just easier breeders. It just, that's the way, it, I mean, look at corn snakes, which are very seasonal in their reproduction and everything, but I know people who bred corn snakes doing absolutely nothing. Is that because you yeah. go catch a wild corn snake and do nothing? Or is it, but when you're 20 generations of captive breeding on the line, it's like we're, we're, these animals change with each generation of captive breeding and stuff. And they change whether we are intent, you can, we, sometimes we intentionally do it, i.e. breeding for a particular phenotype. Other times it's things we're not even trying to do, uh, but we're doing anyway. We are always kind of putting production pressure on these animals for easier reproduction, i.e. we don't have to do as much, and right. for rodent feeding, for rodent eaters. I mean, a wild, you know, hognose snake does not know what a pinky mouse is, but a captive-bred hog-nose snake will just come out of the gate and eat a pinky. It's the most unnatural uh, thing in the world. But they do it because we just because the ones that insisted on eating toads didn't live long enough, didn't pass their genes on with the same frequency. And the few that that small percentage that would take a pinky, they're the ones who reproduce. You know, so we if you look at what happens, like everything is reproducing more frequently, with less stimulus, they're eating rodents more, and they're reproducing at younger ages, younger and smaller ages and sizes. It's like all that is because that we're putting selection pressure on these animals. For those things because that's what we want. We want things that reproduce fast, larger clutches, smaller sizes, younger ages, flashier colors, and they want we wanted to eat domesticated rodents. So the animals that do those things and to whatever extent, they generally leave more offspring behind than the ones that want the ones that held the snake that held out had it started on toads didn't live either didn't live to adulthood or certainly didn't pass as on to teens as often as the ones that came out of the gate ate a pinky mouse Got the maturity in a year and left a bunch, of, made a bunch of babies. Those are the ones that are, so we just it steers it and we look at jungle carpets. Most people think, most hobbyists I think think that if they go to Queensland, they're going to be able to go find some bright ass yellow and black snake up in a tree somewhere, and that's just not true, is it? I mean, it's like no, they're, they're, just, they're almost like we've collected these to this unnatural state where every animal is some shade of. Even the animals we consider to be ugly or average jungles now were the trophy jungles of 15 years ago. I mean, it's like we are I see people complaining about things and calling, you know, it's, kind of, it's getting muddy or whatever. It's like these animals are not the norm. I mean, certainly not in the wild population. We just kind of feared that baseline appearance to such an extent. It's so huge now that people have like kind of lost sight of where these things came from. If you go find a jungle carp in the wild, you'll find black and gold, brown and gold, golden gray, you find any, you know, olive green, you find all these different colors you know, within the spectrum of what, you know, constitutes a jungle carpet, but in captivity, we focus like a laser beam on yellow and black and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So all the other, you know, bits in the, that that range of phenotype are basically lost. We don't even have that anymore because they're all kind of sacrificed all that to make these consistently black and yellow snakes because that was the what we most eye catching So it's kind of created an unnatural thing with those. And I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for a bright yellow black jungle carpet myself, but it is kind of, we have almost like this weird kind of a, you know, uh, obsession with that to the uh, detriment of all the other kind of looks and stuff that jungle carpets can possess naturally. I like them all.
2: True. Well, I mean, there was the... uh Nick and I you you and I talked about this uh with the same thing with the with my Dominican boas saying that, you know, of course there were like three or four right out of the litter that didn't even take geckos went straight onto rodents. So those would be the ones that, you know you'd expect to if do you're, better than everybody else. If
3: you're smart, oh yeah, those are the ones that you keep back, the ones that ate they- that ate the best right out of the gate, and they're going to be the ones, the first ones to get a maturity. They're going to breed the earliest because they got more food in them because they didn't give you a bunch of hard time, And they're going to leave. It's like at the end of the day, they're the ones that leave the most offspring behind. And the population, the captive population just moves one more click towards, you know, animals Mm -hmm. that just eat rodents suppose of be lizard-eating, because who wants lizard-eating babies in captivity? Not this guy. No
2: one. I don't. Nobody. I <laughs> nobody. It's,
3: it's the world's biggest pain in the ass, and nobody wants yeah. them. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of species that want to eat lizards, uh, but uh, you know, when I hold back antaricia babies, that's a prime consideration. It's not just phenotype. It's like, how good of an eater is this? How long did it mess with me before it just ate a and, mm-hmm. you know, I want to steer this this towards, uh, you know, making my own life a little bit easier and stuff. So we all do it. We do it whether we know we're doing it and or not. I mean, you're just, you know, in the extreme cases, the animals absolutely hold out for lizards. They don't even live. They eventually just starve themselves out. And even if it was just that, that kind of self-culling of the population, the, the lizard the animals are holding out for a prey animal that is not ever going to come by. I mean, eventually just very slowly moves towards more mammals, domesticated rodent prey. But, yeah, you can help that process along, too. I mean, it doesn't have to be... It's going to happen eventually, whether you want it to or not. Right. You know, with with carpet python lineages, uh, coastal carpets have been here longer than any of the rest of this stuff. But, uh, But I dare say you probably have more generations of jungle carpets at this point than you do coastal carpets because the demand for jungle carpets was always so high. There's... There's a lot more incentive to breed more jungle carpets or the coastals are just kind of plugged on there's nobody like racing as fast as they can to, you know it's like it's not as much emphasis in the hobby on right. coastal carpets you have a lot a tremendous number of generations of jungle carpets spread in captivity and you know six seven eight nine ten at this point in some lineages and they're easier to get feeding the older lineages uh jungle car- i mean some species rather you know if your average jungle carpet clutch or coastal carpet clutch Pretty easy to get those babies going, isn't it?
4: <laughs> I mean,
0: yeah.
3: more than half of them will just take a pop or mouse on the first try, no problem. Uh, but if you look at other species of carpet that we have that have a shorter number of captured generations, like Freddle's Python, maybe you know, probably my favorite species of all of them. it's uh, they're more difficult to get feeding. They're uh, part of that's that they're just unusually docile even as, as neonates, but part of it is like they're just Smack them over the generation. Sir. They're just not as many generations removed from something that you're going to eat that's looking for a skink. You know, eventually mm-hmm. they'll get to that point. But you know, re- every generation you're reinforcing rodent eating and everything. If you got a lineage, lineage with ten generations of reinforcing, you know, mouse eating, and, and you got another lineage only you know three or four generations, it's 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 harder still. It's harder. You know, the same with you know, inland carpets and darwins and stuff. They're a little bit harder. Not hard, hard necessarily, but they are a little bit harder than these older lines that are you're know, just
2: further down that road yeah i uh I had to give all my baby brettles live because uh, they would not take frozen off the tongs. they just wanted to kind of run away from it so giving them the live stuff is what took them to feed you feed all live don't you Nick
3: well i I have to have I have to have the ability to go both ways. I mean, I,
2: okay.
3: my goal is to get a meeting whenever I need to get a meeting, and then eventually get a meeting frozen sod before I let it leave. Cause it's 98% of people in the hobby. You know, want things or they almost assume that it's just automatically going to be frozen sod. As if that's, you know, they make that <laughs> assumption that everything is automatically eating frozen mice. And it's, you know, must be nice to be able to take that for granted. I suppose it's a, uh, uh, I, don't know. I, I think I've got, like, three babies from the 600 that are still pissing me off on my prey. But that's, you know, a tiny, tiny percentage. Usually, you know, by three it's or really four good they're, yeah. <laughs> they're switching over. It's no big deal. But, uh, it's, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. Selected, you can selectively breed for prey preference just like you can for color pattern. And, uh, well, I never understood people that like that. I always tell people this too, when they're getting fed up a lot of times they can't decide. They're like, well, you know, I, you know, they get down to like a couple, two or three, and they can't decide, and it's like, and I just tell them, go with the better eater. If you can't well, yeah. decide based on any other factor, color and pattern, then pick the one that was the first one to eat, because the first one to eat it's probably going to make good babies, you know, that are you're reinforcing, the, you know, good eating and stuff as a trait and a something you probably want to do, and it's like, you know, you know, and I think a lot of people don't pay attention to that enough, they just it's all about the look of the animal, and well, while that might be the primary concern, is how well it eats and everything, gotta be, it should be in there somewhere, too.
2: Well, Mike, the one thing that kind of confuses me is that people kind of shy away from animals that are not eating, not eating frozen-thawed rodents, but might be eating frozen-thawed something else, and it's like, why are you kind of downplaying it, you can get frozen chicks just as easy as you can get frozen rats. And it's the same yeah, it's way to feed them, so.
3: Species. It's a, I mean, if it's a species that's commonly available and it's just as easy to get, you know, something that's going to yeah. I don't want to mess with switching something over to a rodent if I don't have to, but, I mean, I've done it a million times. It's a species, it's gotta do that. I, mean, I don't know what it is, that. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I think I rotate in chicks sure. periodically I anyway kind of makes a little messier, uh, defecations, but, uh, yeah, they're all in carpets in particular. Absolutely adore chickens. Uh, so nothing wrong with using chickens as a prey source. I had a wild caught IJ that never ate a rat. And this thing was a wild caught, like six foot monster right out of the wild. Wow. I, got it in, I think I got it in 1996. Uh, you know, before there were really anybody, bre- I think the first captive of breeding of IJs was in '95. BPI. I got this thing about a year later as a wild caught, and it was just a beast. Got a pair of them, and they wouldn't eat. I fed them nothing but chickens for about a decade. And that thing, I had an IJ. That thing was so big it laid a 33 egg clutch at one point. Jeez. And it, you know, it's a. Ultimately, went to Yachter years later, but uh, and. I can't remember the deal exactly, but he ends up with that pair. And uh, nothing wrong with feeding chickens in the long term, other than they kind of they mess their cages a little more because it turns out rodent hair is kinda of like you know, the, the the kind of like fiberglass, little fibers inside there, kinda of give it structure. Well that's what rodent hair is doing for your snake surge pretty much.
4: Uh, <laughs> and without that
3: you tend to kinda of smear it around pretty good. Thought it'd be a little messier. And stuff. nutritionally it's all fine. It's uh grew well, put on weight, right every year, everything was fine. they I don't know what the deal is with them, but they're just, you know, I guess they've made it a the wild their entire lives, and you never know, it's thick that day it might have been 30 years old, they caught the thing, you never mm-hmm. really know, and it just did not, was not going for rat. The male eventually started taking rats after like 10 years in captivity, <laughs> he finally just one day after our first meal of the year after breeding season and warmed them up and everything, and then he decided, oh, you can figure out how to think, like, that hasn't eaten in a long time or hasn't eaten whatever you wanted to be eaten. And then, like, you can kind of tell, like, they kind of smell it in the room, and they kind of pick right. up and you can so tell, are you going to eat this? You haven't even opened the cage yet. And you're like, oh my God, are you actually interested in this? And then you just know they're going to hit it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Only, that was on my MacBook.
3: Only, only took a decade in that animal's case to finally figure out the rats' of food.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so we eat
3: anything else. We eat mice, we eat chickens, we eat hamsters. We got to be anything in the world but a rat. I mean, that's just frustrating. Jesus. Uh, eh, there's always something over here doing that to me. We got this new snake. you always got something with some various speeding predictions. I'm sitting here so, dodging, trying not to get tags here, but it's well of my
2: phone. great tool
3: you- in is the empty paper towel roll. You ever do that trick?
2: Yes. I have, and it backfired. Like, I had to it over. It's, it's like, brownies. I use
3: more, at least as much as a hook. Just, like, put the paper towel too over its head. Like, yeah, yeah. well, I'm just... And these walnuts are not aggressive. Like, they don't want to bite me. They want to eat me. They just think everything is food. Yeah. got to be a little careful with them, because they're one of those species that shouldn't feed them that much, because they're really prone to obesity, but they would eat, like, every day, in shed, doesn't matter. They're just always, always looking for something to eat. And, yeah. right. Very cool. I hope that answers. cool. Talked on that question so long. I forgot what
2: the question actually was. That's all right. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, for, that's for the audience to figure out. So there you go. Yeah. For Now, for, there are some species that are just kind of like starting to gain steam here or speed uh, where you're starting to see more captive clutches. Do you think we're kind of on the precipice of some uh, really good captive populations of, uh, let's say, uh, white lip is, I've been seeing them all over the place all of a sudden. I'm so not
3: making any big breakthroughs. I just think that when you have, you know, the, the biggest prerequisite for, uh, you know, captive breeding is that somebody has got to be trying and if some of these species historically hasn't been enough people actually even bothering to try. If you, mm. more people trying, more people will be successful and white lips are another one that are, that's not an easy species to breed. They're nope. they to be a bit high strung and they're, you know, they're uh, one of the more difficult, those ring pythons, get more on the more difficult side to, to breed, whitelifts especially and stuff. So it's less, I think it's, you know, you got to have healthy animals. And with this, something like a whitelift where everything's wild caught, by and large, and there's very little catch breeding historically that's been done. Most people are starting with, like, you know, wild caught babies. That's best case scenario and stuff. And you got to have healthy animals and they've got to be housed correctly. And then they have got to be, not only that, the last thing that's almost the hardest one to get, they've got to be kind of in the possession of someone who knows what the heck they're doing. I mean, we've yeah. all known, we've all known, and without naming names, I mean, we certainly all probably think of people that have fallen into this category where they're kind of a right snake, wrong keeper kind of a thing, or mm. ideal pair of whatever, where the, the, the perfect, beautiful specimen of the excellent chance of in captivity is owned by somebody that doesn't know what the hell they you know. Because they were the one who had the money to buy it, but they weren't the one that had to do diligence to figure out how to breed it and stuff. And you see a lot of I see a lot of projects that go right in the toilet because they were owned by, you know, the wrong person, basically. There's a lot of, you know, rare species, and there have been more projects and various species that I've seen that just never went anywhere because, frankly, they were put in the wrong hands. They uh, are not put in the wrong hands. They just serendipitously ended up in the wrong person's collection, and that person, you know, made poor choices and, and
2: it's, you know, you know like it's there's
3: one what, there's what I really want to say right now, but I won't. But, I mean, it's like, this, this, these things happen, I mean, it's kind of a, you know,
4: it's,
3: a, it's not a carpet, for the record. I'm not trying to, not even talking about a carpet, python. I'm just a python morph that never got established. It seemed like it had a lot of potential and certainly seemed like they had something and you just never heard nothing out of it. That was a case of, you know, well, if this thing, you know, when the animal was first kind of unveiled to the public, it was already like large, like already a large adult. And then like, and I talked to this particular individual and they briefly considered just kind of sending it to me on loan, and, which would have been probably better because I'm sure they'd probably be available by now. But then invariably they got the, oh, what do we need Nick for? let's well, we'll do this ourselves, right? And like, great. And then you see a picture of it like two years later, still no babies. It was already long since rent right to brief, you know, initially. And it's like all of a sudden it's like nine feet long and just, you know,
2: yeah. So
3: huge, it's like, and you're thinking, and it's living in a fish tank with a screen top, and it's like a picture of a snake out of somebody's front yard, and they named it, and they're, you know, just like this, everything you could possibly, like, this is not the right person for this project. It's like, and you'll never, this amorph morph, it will never become established, because the the one animal that carries whatever the theotype is, is kind of now literally five times bigger than it ever should have been allowed to get. It's never going to breathe. It's probably dead by now. It's kind of... It's always that the argument across people's minds. It's like a, if less is more, imagine how much more and more would be, you know, kind of a <laughs> – yeah. You
2: can get more like, eggs.
3: If a 700-gram yeah. male will breed, great, then a uh, 7,000-gram male's got to have, like, super sperm, right? No, it just sits around and doesn't breed and dies when it's five years old. That's what it – you know, you don't mm. try to – a lot of people don't understand that the kind of nuances of the physiology of these things. You can't. is such a thing as too big, and you see time and time again things push past their the natural kind of a size not they really live But you know what would be advisable, and then they just, the result is that they just don't ever breed and they don't live very long. And then opportunity lost. Yeah. So have been around a long time. I could think of so many awesome things. You know, you ever seen a piebald so, annulated? You ever seen a piebald annulated tree boa?
2: No. Nope.
3: They existed. Did you ever see it, it pictures of the piebald emerald tree boas? No. <laughs> there, were, there were three piebald, this was geez, 25 years ago, three piebald emerald tree boas were born to a granite female imported for a wild mating. And they were piebald like a ball python. Just big blotches of white on an emerald tree bone There were three of them in the litter. All of them died. Mom died. Nobody ever got anything going, you know. There were uh, tons of tons of that kind of stuff. Morps that clearly would have been something, but just for whatever reason didn't, didn't live, didn't get established, or in the wrong hand. Never bred. But, you know, kind of all went away. And, but sometimes, unfortunately, they, it's because people think they just push things too hard, and like, oh, i got to get this thing to grow really fast so we can make a lot of babies, and they push something too hard, and they break it. So, mm. Unfortunate. That's a, yeah. Damn. So, oh, well. That's
1: lamenting
2: those things.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about um, – this, this goes back to the feeding thing real quick. But, um, Nick, have you – I heard – I think it was on um, GTP Keeper Radio where Buddy uh, was talking about feeding babies at different times. Have you ever had any experience with that, like, you know, feeding at specific times or you just go whenever – you have time to do it.
3: Oh, as Blake, as what was the uh, what was his uh, hypothesis? That he was getting a better feed response. At different
1: times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he would feed. Uh, I can't remember if it was daytime or night. I think it was daytime. Like he was having. I, I think the thought was is that uh, for getting chondros to go, uh, they were feeding them at night, and uh, turns out that he, by accident, he did it during the day, and he got a better feeding response and. Therefore, got you know more of the hatchlings going. Have you ever had any experience with that with with pythons or carpets or?
3: Yeah, I I, I mean it's a bit counterintuitive. So I mean to make a, I need a pretty impressive kind of sample size to you know that. I mean not that it's possible, but I mean, I mean all pythons are effectively nocturnal ambush predators that they don't do anything in the day. They're just hanging out hiding under a rock or in a tree hollow somewhere. Wait until about an hour after the lights go out, and then they start looking for something to eat or thinking about something to eat. So, you know, in the time when they're. I generally feed everything at night uh, about an hour after, in the dark, though. I play a little headlamp on, I go out there, ginormous bucket full of frozen hopping mice,
4: Mm -hmm. hot
3: water, and I start going down the line. I mean, if you're primarily hunting, uh, they're not. I mean, in the dark, what they're seeing is the heat signature given off by warm-blooded prey and everything, and if that's getting really, really hot, frozen out in a really dark room, you just see this giant heat signature, it really gets them worked up. It works great with the boreal stuff, which boreal stuff, you know, I breed Amazon tree bone, I breed a lot of chondros, because I have a lot of frustration with the chondro community, Uh, but I love the snakes, I just can't deal with the, I mean, I just can't deal with it. All I can do is deal with the carpet stuff. I mean that's when that is uh, a whole other kettle of
1: fish and that's a whole different community of people and just I love the snakes. I always you, I have more of them probably, but uh, oh, no, I, what are you talking about? Out.
3: They're just a green snake on a stick. Yeah, <laughs> the ballpark they on the they are. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty well true too. They're not they're not special at all in any way, and the problem I've got with the the Chondro community at large is they kind of have this idea that because it's green and it's just on a stick, that that makes it special. And I guess that green pie on a stick and then on the floor. Beyond that, it's really not terribly different. And they just, I don't know, they overtake everything and then they get a lot of, a lot of completely wrong information that is just like kind of believed to be gospel It's just so completely not true that it, you can't, it's like a salmon swimming upstream. It's like you have a whole, I and mean, it's not everybody. There are a lot of enlightened beavers, especially in the last number of years. People are starting to be like, huh, these are really tiny snakes after all. They're not supposed to be a thousand grams. I see all these just like horribly enormous, like just literally they just ruin the animal because it's, it's got 2,000 gram green tree pipe on You see it all the time. It's like just
4: crazy.
3: That's the equivalent. I mean, if you look at the natural size of a green tree python, like a 2,000 american condo is equivalent to like a 1,200 pound human being. Like that is not normal or healthy to be a 1,200 pound person. But I would think it was for the snake. It's like you know, it's like oh, I, I don't really see it that much. It's just it's just from a line that gets big and all this kind of nonsense. And like no, you it's, you know, in that case, they should be so they. They don't do a lot and they should never get big enough to eat any bigger than a mouse. Ever. If you need a con you have a condo that needs to eat a rat, you've already erected. You know, it's like already yeah. way too big. And you can't <laughs> shrink it. And I just it's like just, it's talking to a lot not all of them. We get, I have friends who keep a lot of condos that are, you know some of those guys know what they're doing. It's not I don't mean to just make it seem like they're all a bunch of naked boots or something, but it's that's certainly not the case. But there are a fair number who just it's like you're just banging your head in a wall. It's like it, like these are little tiny things. They're like 400 grams, soaking wet. They're supposed to lay 8 or 10 eggs, and that's it. I mean, they're not supposed to. And they wonder why these ginormous snakes are five times bigger than they ever should have been allowed to get. Lay 50 eggs, only one baby hatches, And then the snake is dead when it's like 8 years old. They all die young. It's because they're not supposed to be... They're not ever supposed to be that big. I've got a female. I don't think she's going to go this year. A little Womina female. Ryan Young produced. She is 11 years old. 11 years old. If she goes... It'll be a third clutch at 11 years old. I mean, those guys try to find an 11 year old condo. Just try to find one that was just a 1990, or 2004 model year condo. Very difficult to find any condos over 10 years old. I mean, they're mm-hmm. out there, but by and large, most of them have shit the bed before that for a reason. Because they've got way too big and fat. And it's this thing, that female line, she is 480 grams at 11 years old and is. A multi-time proven breeder and she's still under 500 I mean, because wow. that's all the bigger that's all the bigger they're supposed to be that's why yeah, right. it's like they don't no one wants to accept There's are just little tiny snakes they're literally anteresia-sized things i mean yeah i mean yeah they're just they're little i mean they're not, i bred a male <laughs> weighs 248 grams so a female weighs 350 grams 350 grams, like nine perfect eggs with 100% fertility. we that's got that normal reproductive size. They're just like little tiny things. The male is eating hoppers. the female would eat just barely weaned bites. <laughs> right. But I, can't, uh, I love the snakes, but I just, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, I can't do everything, so I'm just kind of trying to limit my frustration. I really like locality folk, which is quite a bit too, but the same kind of thing. It's like, geez, dealing with all the hybrid carpet pythons and this much carpet and sorting all that nonsense out is so frustrating already. It's like, you know, I don't, want, I need to delve into a whole other world that has all those same problems. It's just like, yep. just, just <laughs> lose my mind. Yeah. It's just too much. I it's did, like I, got
1: to what? I, did I, I did have some clarification on the, uh, what Buddy was talking about. It was, um, oh. in the dark, they're, they're active and more likely to run. Uh, easier to get a defensive response when you wake them up. So basically, it's yeah. waking them up and no, no. get a defensive, defensive they strike. They
3: don't really ever sleep. They don't really ever sleep, though, do they? They're kind of always, they don't really awake or asleep like we are. It's kind of a, I didn't have eyelids. I right. they close their eyes and go to sleep. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. You, yeah. you, you don't really have a waker, but you get awake, but it's kind of you're just like active or inactive, really. You don't really sleep so much, but no, I mean, it's, it's if it works, then, you know, keep doing that. I mean, if that's <laughs> for anybody or anything, I mean, I do what I do because it's what's proven to work over a lot of years of doing this for me really well. I am shocked at some of the things that work for other people sometimes. It makes no sense to me at all. Like, things, people, oh, I did this and this, and I got a bunch of eggs, and I'm like, well, that sounds really crazy. But, hey, if it works, I mean, it's like, you know, keep doing that, man. I mean, you know, something's working for you. What works for one person does not actually work for all people, and you can't really ever make it. Hard and fast rules about anything with this, you know. Well, you can right. kind of general sort of, kind of, in, in, speak only in general terms, but uh, you, you make a lot of rules. There's always exceptions to everything, you uh, know. I don't know. I never really. uh, I mean, you clean cages all day and feed at night. That's just how I've been doing it for years. That's worked out real well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I feed. You know, now with like well-established babies, I feed them all, you know, whenever because it doesn't matter because they're just going to eat anyway. So. I don't feed my adults at night. I mean it's like but I find I've had better success with little babies and stuff about one hour after the lights go off. But I don't know, maybe I'll try it. are a little
4: uh,
3: yeah, I'd say they're harder. They're exactly like Amazon tree bows, which I also read those and they're like uh, they're it's a little bit like they're stupid. I don't really understand like how these things even eat in the wild. It's like yeah, can you actually have like such a clumsy, slow stride it be so hard to you gotta, like beat you in the head with a pinky to get you to bite anything. It's just like, you're just, I
2: don't know. How uh, is your species not dead yet? <laughs>
3: yeah, I don't understand. It's like it's gangly, awkward, super slow moving, hard to get. I mean, I don't, I mean, well, obviously it works because they exist, but it's like some of these mm-hmm. things are a bit, uh, are a bit frustrating last.
2: Um, few. how would, Ru- how would baby rough scales compare? baby condor I don't, I
3: don't know never had any. never hatched
2: any.
3: <laughs> says, remind me I'll, I'll go check to see if I've got eggs here real quick while I got you on my phone
4: all right <laughs> you
3: know, well, I got very low expectations never really thought I'm doing eggs. that's one of those you ever get like yeah uh, nothing yet but uh you know something's gonna come out of that female something's coming out we're past the point of wondering if something's gonna leave something's inside there well several something so she's gonna deposit something. Uh, is it gonna be good or bad? I don't know. i like, I tend to be a bit pessimistic, so. Yeah, so do why everything's yeah. gonna
2: lay slugs until I see the eggs. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. I'd be pleasantly surprised and completely devastated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she's it. I mean, something's coming out of her, but uh, we'll see. Cool. Uh, I have a lot of I have a lot of confidence for some reason. Pretty good at like I've been doing this for a long time. You guys are probably getting passionate enough questions where you just kind of. You kind of know what you're looking for, and you're looking for an animal to, you know, how strong is the ovulation, you know, how, you know, know, the pre-ovulatory swelling, how kind of, you kind of, if you observe enough, you know, like, you kind of watch after the ovulation and pre-day shed, how are they progressing, you know, are they gaining weight in the right spots and everything, and you kind of, you know, you Mm -hmm. kind of have a good, you know, a good idea of what you're looking at getting and stuff. I'm not getting, like, a lot of good vibes from uh, what I've seen so far, but I've been wrong before. I'd love to be around this time. I'd love to. I will breathe those things. It's, uh,
2: I hope uh, you do. There should be know. more of them. <laughs> but, um. uh, uh,
3: uh, there will be. It's, uh, they're pretty. I think I'm a very poorly motivated male. Uh, mm. it's, uh, he just doesn't seem to be interested in doing the job. Uh, but that happens sometimes. Always, it seems happen with the thing you want. always seems to happen with the thing you want to breed the most, though, doesn't it? <laughs> it's never like the thing you got five of. Um, it's always the thing you really, really want. You know, yeah. That's definitely one of them. But I'll get there.
2: And, and you would consider keeping rough scale size, like uh, adults, kind of like chondros, yeah. where they don't get huge, right?
3: Well, you know, that's another one that I don't think there's not. Most everything we know is from cactus specimens, but you can be completely. Well, I mean, if you were to look back 10 years ago as to how big green tree pythons would be, they'd say, oh, 1,500 grams or something that's completely not really true, is it? You know, and yeah. stuff. so it's what is, you know, how many wild specimens of uh, rung python are even known that were, I mean, not very, a handful of green captured ones, but what is their natural size in the wild? That's what really matters and stuff. And would be kind of be pretty far off the mark when you're talking just purely based on cats' specimens. So, I don't know, I mean, they're close to, they're basically you know, they're related to carpets, but they're probably a little bit more closely related to the chondros, although there was a more recent paper that kind of put them a little closer to carpets than chondros. But they're in that group, I mean, that's I to say. Mm-hmm. It, they are if you look at the size of their egg, it's like exactly between a chondro egg and a carpet egg. It's like they're right smack in the middle in terms of egg size and everything. So it's kind of you know, it's are clearly mature. And,
4: you know, it's kind of
3: Five hundred grams for the male. About they're mature at right about my anything they be mature at right about in between the size of a you know, my female's a little smaller than I would breed a carpet at. The males probably, you know, they're in the same, but not not by a lot. So that's something they're in that wheelhouse there somewhere. So, I don't know. They haven't been bred in enough numbers for long enough to really know. There aren't any twenty year old bred bread scale pythons around to no. know. I'm sure they are capable of achieving 20, 30-year lifespans, like just about all pythons are, or longer even. But they haven't been, no one's been breathing long enough to really know yet. And things like making animals, you know, larger than they're supposed to get, that will take a toll on life expectancy. Clay, haven't, yeah. We haven't been breathing long enough in captivity to really know. And stuff, and people will, so it's entirely possible that they're actually should be smaller than people think they are, uh, because that's, there's been ample evidence of that happening with other species and stuff, so we get this notion that they're supposed to be five feet long and we just make them five feet long. Like, well, you might be able to get them five feet long, and maybe five feet long they'll even breed. Will they live 30 years to five feet long? Do wild ones get that big? I don't know. My first trip to hmm. Australia, I got actually uh, got to handle one of the original wild-caught adult males, one of the founder ones, part of the captive population in the Australian rooftop park. Uh, that's it's cool. It had an enormous head, and it was maybe four feet long, maybe, with a giant head on it, and you know, but I don't know how big it, how big was it when they caught it? You know, I don't know. I mean, but, uh, was it already an adult? It's, uh, it's such a remote area. It's not like you're gonna see a whole lot of you know field collection of these things or you know data from mm-hmm. that. So Mitchell Falls is a pretty hard place to get to. Yeah.
2: Do you do you think that we're eventually gonna start seeing things like I know the Owen Pelly project? Geez, they got one clutch in the ground. So yeah, I only
3: a handful of babies. I think that. Given the long view, and the long view can be pretty long, I, you'll see all that stuff. I mean, did you ever think you'd see rough scale pythons?
2: Never. You know, Albino, <laughs>
3: all pythons, Albino, yeah. Darwin, Carpish. No, and all those things into the United States perfectly legally. I mean, so yeah. it's, I think, you know, given the long trajectory, I think you will see Owen Pelly pythons at my house eventually. It might be 25 years from now. I, I can't imagine it's going to be very soon, but it's like, given yeah, that way the world works and everything, it just seems like, you know, uh, they will, I mean, they'll end up in all the Australian zoos and Australian keepers and stuff, and then foreign zoos will get them, and some foreign zoos, it's perfectly legal for them to sell zoo surplus and stuff, and we've seen that a bunch of times. It's eventually some kind of way, and I don't profess to have any knowledge of the way or how, and there certainly aren't any enough catchy boredoms in existence, but at some point, 20 years from now. I'll probably have some. We all will, probably. It just seems that that doesn't seem to be any particular – they don't seem to be terribly difficult to breed because they've been bred twice now because what people – the articles written of late don't ever – they keep saying, about the first time they were bred legally. It's like, well, they were bred by Peter Krauss a long-ass time ago Yeah. and produced a few babies from them. I don't know what the – legal disposition of those animals were, but they were bred. I mean, a, and these are wild-caught adults that are breeding, which is typically more difficult than breeding juveniles to raise them in captivity. So they seem to be willing to reproduce, so they'll, eh, they'll be around at some point, but it might be a fairly – don't hold your breath, I guess. But uh, <laughs> 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 where, where, I do they,
1: where do they fit what? in the python family tree? Where do they fit depends, in the Python family depends tree? On,
3: depends on what paper you read, I guess. Um, mm. You know, DNA is a wonderful tool for kind of divining the answers to these questions, but it really is only good at answering whatever the question you asked it was very specifically. And depending on who's doing the asking and what exactly the question was, you kind of get, you know, not all papers that analyze, you know, australian python genetic genes and everything are they're not necessarily testing the same genes they're not necessarily coming up with the same results and stuff and a lot can be you know the sample size makes a huge difference i mean there was uh, uh they were uh you know they have been at times viewed as being basically intermediate between the scrub complex and the carpet complex based on morphology and some molecular stuff, and then I think a more recent paper placed them in Simalia with the scrub pythons, even though morphologically, I don't know, I mean it's, these things are fluid and ever-changing, I think there's not really been, and one problem is like, you know, how many genetically different distinct specimens of Owen's Python could they possibly have tested? You know, it's <laughs> like, what's your sample size got to be just abysmally small, I mean and that's, yeah,
2: I and mean, the smaller yeah. your
3: sample size is, the higher your margin, the less you know, integrity results have, I mean, you do the best you can with what you have, but if you've only got a couple of specimens, it's not like they got like a hundred different wild individuals, so you can get a real decent sampling, you know, you're really not, you're looking at just this tiny number of individuals, you know, uh, and that's really it, so I don't know, uh, they were, uh, at one point, I mean, they are initially they were, uh, Described as being carpet pythons, the first person to look at them, which at the time, a pretty criminal Australian herpetologist, is, oh, that's a carpet python. Like, they never thought it was a carpet python. So, <laughs> so they're, I don't know. We'll see. I don't think that they're necessarily, uh, the, the book's not closed on those, so to speak, genetic, or, uh, you know, uh, phylogenetically, I guess. Phylogenetically, yeah. I guess. It's, uh, I think every year and every paper that comes out, and was, they're all using molecular to kind of uh, define these things, we get a little bit closer. If you look at the, if you ever look at the kind of a history of taxonomy of Australian pythons, or pythons in general, it is literally absurd. And you don't even know how some of these conclusions It's just like it's, the amount of things, how much moving around and everything has been done. But if you look at how it's structured now, it's pretty, you can totally tell it's getting, you know, if you look at all the Laiesa species, they clearly belong together, don't they? You know, the yeah. antheragia the, the <laughs> clearly belong together. The, the front pythons clearly belong in the same genus. You get the outlier species, I suppose. But it's starting to, like, you're getting a lot more concordance between the genetic side of it and the morphological side of it. It's it it pretty obvious. I mean, but whereas other works in, you know, previous generations and even not all that long in the past have made some pretty strange conclusions. You know, how would you ever have had, you know, at one point virtually all the stuff was in life, it's like, they're just like oh, it's yeah. all Australian, so it's just which is just absurd. I mean, it's absurd. And then there is an annoying trend in taxonomy, annoying to me anyway, and I can't be the only one who's annoyed by it. And then you get a lot of these papers that are written, they're very well written, very well researched. They just go to the extremes of being thorough and, coming, I mean, and doing everything exactly, I mean, exactly what you would want. I mean, extremely thorough work. They come to a conclusion that is really obvious based on it, and then they stop just short of actually making a change. Yeah, I and mean, then they don't do. They don't cross the finish line with it. I never understood that. It's almost like they're they're like leaving themselves a little wiggle room so if anybody else later comes up with something contradictory, they can't you know, they say they were wrong or something. It's like they're afraid to just all say and say so to speak. It's like you know. Oh, well, it's like the, the 2003 the the Congro paper that. Completely showed irrefutably that codros are at least two different species, maybe four, but for yep. sure two, with this enormous genetic distinction between them and everything, and then it didn't name them. It just didn't do it. It's just like, oh, but we won't. Or, you know, or the, <laughs> you know, sorry, that <laughs> uh, paper and we're on done. the same time, the Scrub on paper on the exact same time, like in 2000, 2001. You know, yeah. formally split off Classy not a and not and all, and uh, helmet and everything, but then says basically right in there, yeah, the Barnex and stuff, should be different species, but we're not going to do it. And it's like, well, and then they wonder why you get problems. You know, Ray Hoser goes in and is like, oh, well, you did all the work, and they didn't name it. It's like, it's like they didn't name it. I'm mean, it, don't, it me. You know, I don't yeah. understand, I don't understand the what's the fear of uh, doing that. Or, uh, a great paper, I cited a number of times, and things I've published is uh. Uh, Rowan and Donald in 2008, which is a kind of a general overview of all Australian pythons and the you know, relationships thereof. It's a fantastic paper. And it says right in there, oh, yeah, the uh, you know, Leo Python and Boportilla should be synonymized, and then you have to go with the older, uh, which is Boportilla is the older term. So then all whitelists would be used into Boportilla because there isn't sufficient, you know, molecular evidence to support their uh, being separate. Uh, yeah. And then it doesn't do it, though. <laughs> but then they just don't do it. And why do they just do it? If they, you made the case, you proved your argument, then just do that. Just move them formally, synonymize them, and find that with someone I mean, I that's the point of not... But they don't understand why all the to do, you know, if they had merely suspected it and not made a very compelling case to do that, I just, well, it did not make any sense. But you see a lot of that. Any anymore, more kind of very... Uh, uh, I and mean, these other papers where they'll make a big move on less evidence. Uh, you know, it's, uh, with a smaller sample size and a less compelling argument, they will make a new genus or whatever, you know, uh, you know, and stuff. It's, uh, I don't know. But I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not angry to be a taxonomist or anything. It just is a bit frustrating and stuff. Uh, giving the scrub pythons <laughs> their own genus, say, is a, is a huge no brainer. I mean, you also get a weird thing where, you probably notice this, like the the people, the academics who are writing the papers. They're not people keeping snakes. They like literally, they're they're testing samples with shed skins and this and that. And it's like they they come to these really weird conclusions. Like, well, like in the the chondro paper in 2003, it's like you know refers to in the title of you know, cryptic diversity. They're basically saying like, wow, we were so shocked that these things were genetically so different because we can't tell them apart when we look at them. It's like really, you can't tell. And a root chondro from a bi chondro? It's like, a, it's like, are you looking at it? Are you, uh, are you, do you have stereoscopic vision and eyes that face forward? It's, I mean, it's like, what do you mean you can't tell it apart? I mean, it's crazy. Or yeah. there's a license paper. About, there's a great license paper in 2003 that I, I studied that one a bunch of times. It's like a good paper. And it clearly shows that, you know, foscus are really two different snakes and that the western foscus in northern territory are more closely related to Macklots pythons than we are of Queensland Fuscus, which is weird because they look just like the Queensland Fuscus and look are like a Macklots python. And then at the end of it, we're talking about how, well, we really have a hard time, can't tell these Maclots apart from these water pythons. Like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? It's like, I don't know, one's green and one's black and one has a, I mean, a head structure, their skull structure, their size. They live in different places. They color patterns. Like what is the same about them? I mean, they're, they're maybe closely related genetically, but be, really, you can't tell apart? I mean, it's again, it's like, oh, how hard do you guys look? Have you ever seen one? I mean, you kinda got to kind of wonder sometimes. Like, it's... I used to have a friend, who I won't mention, and he's an academic and everything. Like, well, I still talk to him once in a while, but uh, this guys, like, you know, you can, like, discuss the intimate details of hemipean anatomy and just about anything you can imagine, but it couldn't keep a snake alive to the same one. You know, it's like it's just this... You, I firmly believe that, you know, while I'm, I'm very much of a fan of the academic literature and stuff, and I read everything that comes out, I mean, you do gain some insight into these animals by keeping them and breeding them and everything and interacting with them, but you don't gain by just testing their D, their, DNA, their DNA. You don't, you know, like, right. I, I could have told you that the, the Ruchondros and the, the Southern Condros and the Northern are very different snakes uh, without having a DNA test to prove it. Pretty different snakes. It's pretty obvious you ever kept them, but these things, there's going to be gain from actual keeping things and stuff. There's nuances, like, oh, you know, I could uh, have a friend from Ryan Young, I've it for almost uh, 20 years or talked about it. He's been arguing with me, not arguing with me because I agree with him, but I mean about ring pythons and the white lips should be in the same genus and everything based on all these morphological similarities and behavioral similarities that you don't get if you're just testing samples and everything. Like like the fact that rings and white lips are the only two pythons that literally cough up hairballs like a cat. Yes. They would literally eat mammals and regurgitate what looks like a gray furry turd in the cage. Uh, yeah, I mean, really? They, that, that was,
2: yeah, they cough up here. We- the it's the weirdest so, shit when you don't know it's coming. You're like, what's wrong yeah, with wow. it? Then it gonna just it. Yeah, right? precisely. Oh that's,
3: a, that's a weird behavior uh, that only two of these things share, but you don't get that from, if you're just a you know, lab jockey and you're just testing samples, you would never know that.
2: It's in the jar, yeah. What's the thought
3: behind why it does that?
1: What? What's the thought behind I
3: mean, my? You, well, I mean, if you don't want to pass it through, if you go through and have developed a mechanism to regurgitate it, it's probably because the Hair doesn't seem to agree with you very well for whatever right. reason.
2: It depends on their diet, I guess, in the wild if they are eating. I don't know if they're not eating rodents that much or what. I don't know. Well, so.
3: I mean, that's like, there's not exactly been a lot of field studies of gut contents of white lipped pythons and ring pythons in the wild. I mean, there's a lot of things. Might be available, they might come in, people no might read them in the case of rings, but it's not like there's a lot of study going on. We know a lot less about a lot of these things that people realize. I mean, there's a few species of pythons that have been studied to death, uh, and it's thanks to a few people. I mean, really, uh, the ones I would say, in terms of the academic literature, the best known pythons are like all because of Richard Schein, who's a, you know, uh, done just some phenomenal work with diamond pythons, you know, he did his. He did a series of five papers there that are phenomenal, uh, really groundbreaking stuff. and did a series of three papers on imbricata that are fantastic. And he did more papers on water pythons than I can count. So it's like mm-hmm. if you look at, like, what we know about the lights genus genius, we know a crap ton about Northern Territory water pythons, not much about anything else. And it's all because of one guy's, you know, done a tremendous body of work on this, you know, these species. But a lot of these, very little, surprisingly little. Right, so... Uh, what is I don't know. What what do they eat in the wild? I mean I don't know. I mean if they're regurgitating mammal hair, it would kind of sort of imply that they're probably not eating a feces on a lot of mammals. You know, yeah. You know you wouldn't have a problem and need to spit their hair out. But that's an assumption, and assumptions aren't always right. You know you can't always. Maybe there's another entirely different reason why I don't know. But it's uh, that would be my guess. It's, uh, usually things are reasonably self-explanatory, but not, not, not always. Right.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. There's Bring you. up well, uh, research. Indo. Go <laughs> We're going to have to go to Indo go and ahead. research the. I want to go to. Let's all go to Indo now and research the gut contents of white lips. I'm intrigued.
3: Oh, man. I'd so. love to find a white lip in the wild.
2: That'd be awesome. we we
3: be going to PNG with Mark. Oh,
2: next really? Year, Virginia,
3: next year. Yeah, I've been talking about it for years. For the longest time, I was like in. Just such incredibly poor shape that he just flat out told me you wouldn't survive. You know, but you physically—that—that just that breaks the guy so down, dude. You're in such horrible physical—you are so decrepit and in such a just a deplorable physical condition that you would not survive the hike up the mountains to look for the bones. By the well, thanks, Mark. Thank you. Hey, no, uh, I solved that problem. I'm good to go now. But uh, Mabel and you know, I would love to do that with uh, it. You never know if you're finding lowlands on the way up, so I'd love to get into that region, and go poking around. No greater thrill than finding pythons in the wild. Oh heck yeah! I can't no, imagine. I want to do it. <laughs> it's hard to get these places are not easy to get to, though, the, to say the least. Not imagine Maybe.
2: not. Yeah. You so
3: know. you guess, you I'll had mentioned
1: there. uh you mentioned diamond pythons real quick in passing, and I noticed. Maybe a week ago, you had posted up some. Um, yeah, I got a few. How,
4: how,
1: uh, how are you keeping them? Are you doing anything different? Are you keeping them cooler? What What's your what's your approach with them? Of course. You of course. following <laughs> your own book? <laughs> yeah. You, you, so you re, you've read the book, have you? I wasn't kidding about that stuff.
3: I mean, that's, like, that's not just like me counting off some random <laughs> opinion on something. It's like that's a lot of... You know, a lot of times I don't understand people like trying trying try to try to think outside the box. You know, and sometimes it's pretty good just to think inside the box, really. I mean, it's a... But inside the
4: box. As long as nothing in, wrong in, with the
3: box. Di- in the case of Diamond Python, it's like, well, let's see. There's a whole lot of people that have very similar experiences where their snakes, they treat them like everything else, and their snakes fall apart when they're seven years old and they die. And they're not right. successful in the long term at all. And then you've got a few people that are have that are really successful. But animals are 20-plus years old, and they breed them like clockwork. And, like, just do what those guys are doing. Well, obviously, they're doing something right. But, you know, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's like, just figure out what that guy's doing over there. He seems to be kicking ass. And uh, that's what that really uh, comes down to. It's like, what are these guys doing? And then, you know, find a little science to it. Suppose, and, you know, it's like, well, there's a reason. we are just figure out, you know, why are these guys successful where everybody else is not? And not all that really that complicated stuff so yeah just doing what i mean if, i get i mean i get a lot of people asking me for advice on you know, a lot of this perfect related stuff but you know i'm not an expert in diamond python on keeping and breeding so what do i do if i, got, I call up somebody i know who's an expert in ask that, that guy like if, you know why would you do that it's like why would you, not you call want that to learn guy like, look, yeah it's like you want to i want to you know it would be so ridiculous for me to like, you know, oh, I, I don't need advice from that guy because I've bred these related species these people. You know, you always want to get knowledge and information from the best source you can. And, you know, I don't know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to think at this point I know a little bit about some of this stuff. But, I mean, it's, uh, right. in the case of Diamond Python, I'm going to call up the most successful guy. And, you know, it's pretty neat things with a long term, not in the short term. The short term means nothing. In the long term, with a long proven tracker record, see what that guy is doing, and why is it, you know, and figure that out. And that seems to be working just fine. I'll breed them this year. I've got a pair that I probably could have bred last year, last year, but I'm in no hurry and stuff. And they right. never, they don't seem to be in a hurry and everything. I feed them so rarely that I sometimes forget to feed them for a long period of time. But so like, <laughs> my, I, I, I can remember to feed them. I mean, because they're not in my snake building, because they really, you know, my snake building is, you know low 80s most of the time. And this time of year, it tends to run a little hotter than that, and so that's, not, that's kind of a recipe for long-term disaster there. So they're in like, my spare bed with nothing going on, and they're just, they live there. Right. In a very well-planted naturalistic cage, and you just buy. The, I
1: just yeah, I think that's the cool way there. to go with those guys. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking yeah, of the book, one. is there ever gonna be a more complete carpet Python book? A second one. On,
3: I have a folder on my computer just titled "The More Complete Carbon Bud." I guess I don't know that if, ah. if it were ever to happen that it would be that that's what it would be called necessarily, but I I would like to do a second edition, but typically that kind of you're gonna know, sell off the first edition before you print another edition and stuff. But it's, you know, it's gone very well and stuff. When they print a book up like that, they're not just printing like a six month supply of books; they're printing like a five year supply of books. Yeah, mm. like you're just, right. And so there will be a decision made. That's not really my decision. That's you know, eco, the publisher, and Bob. That'll be a decision he makes. Yeah. Uh, at one point, there was a conversation some some time ago, like you seem to think it was one that uh, there is a definite possibility we do a second edition when the time came and everything. I've got a you come across little tidbits of this and that, papers and pictures and little bits and pieces and stuff that might be of use. So I just what I do, I figure out a creative. I got a little folder and I'll drop them in there. And, and I know Justin has the same, i am talked to him, he has the exact same thing where he's got a little, oh, I'll hang on to that just in case. Plus, there's always like those few things, you know, there's a, there's like a picture that's screwed up where, you know, there's a mistake in the layout and stuff that drives me crazy in there. And there's a, you know,
4: <laughs> yeah, where it's like, well,
3: I the, it was a technical problem, but the, the last second and stuff, and there's, you know, there's always like a few things like there's no habitat picture on the area giant carpet but yeah you know, it's like there's no there's no picture of an isle of saint francis carpet you know it's like they're kind of you always kind of get rid with the deadline at the end of it and you're kind of just kind of get it all together to get off the printer and everything on time and it's, so there's always i imagine it's the same with anybody so with anything they sort yeah of, and like, i can
1: I could relate as far as, like, recording music. It's like, you know, there would be things that when I would record music, there would be these things that I would hear and only I would hear. And, they would and everybody else would be saying, man, this is the greatest thing ever. And I'd be saying, no, it's not. It could be
2: better. No, no, yeah. listen to that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got to keep pushing for uh,
3: excellence best you can. And there's always, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would like to do it. I'd like to do an updated edition That'd be. But if you do enough update, you can't just be like, reprint the old book and throw in a couple more pictures. you have to revisit everything and just like, hey, there's been, there's been any papers that really change anything taxonomically with regards to Carpets, I thought. There's been other little bits and pieces and everything and, you know, and stuff that you could, you know, want to make it as current and updated as you possibly could. And, and you need to make it, you know, uh, enough of it would need to be new and different to get people to buy it again, <laughs> frankly. So, I mean, you have to... Right. I'm not in the game to do it. I mean, I would, I would like to do it. Possibly, I guess. Mm. Cool. I'm ready to get on it at, at a moment's notice.
4: I don't know
3: why, but i kind of get an itching to write another book anyway. I don't know why, I could, because we're probably going to have enough to do already, but I kind of like doing that. It's a long process, but I don't know. To complete all of
1: Python? It.
2: To complete the olive complete. Liases. Liases. There you go. Alex, to do <laughs> well, all think, There you go. The
3: liches is a, not the group that needs a book right now, and the problem is like you know is there enough interest to warrant doing it. There's very little research. You could write you could write a whole book on water plant on for Thanksgiving shine, but it's just really. Very difficult on the others, and the the Australian license or the Indo liches or all the lysis I mean, what do you and you know, where do you do with that? I mean, it's like you have a lot of the same problems where you've got. That, uh, a paper that clearly showed that uh, Dunai and Sabuensis were clearly to be full species, but then didn't really call mm-hmm. them full species. Did the whole like, these are totally different things, you're your own species, but we're not going to elevate. And did that whole thing. <laughs> like, why do they do that? It's like, and they clearly, and I've got Sabuensis and a nice group of catchbread Bred Dunai now, and they are different, and you know they're different things. Uh, uh,
2: That's awesome. There. I love the Dun. I
3: like this. I'm gonna publish something on the liches genus. I don't know what form that'll take. I guess you know, somebody's got to do it. And a lot of times you kind of like, well, if I don't do it, who's gonna do it? It's like you're kind of waiting around for waiting around for someone else to write a really cool life article or book or something. It hasn't really panned out in the last 20 years for me. So I don't know I yeah, it was to, kind of you know, like waiting for
1: somebody to do a podcast on uh, carpet pythons. It didn't really pan out for us either. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: yeah. Weird. Sometimes, well, I think a lot of people are just too. Like, they want to see certain things, but they don't want to, and they're just, like, waiting around for somebody else to do it. it's like, you just got to grab it by the balls and do it, man. It's like, that's really, if you think something is worthwhile and something is worth doing and something is needed in our hobby or industry or whatever, then it's like, but waiting around for, you know, for somebody else to do it. If you think it's important, get out there and be the one who does it. If more people did that, I mean, there'd be a lot more getting done, wouldn't there, you know? Mm.
4: Uh,
3: if you think it's important, I mean, I'm like, you know, rather than just endlessly pontificating about it, which I know I've been guilty of doing that. I mean, so now a lot of these things, you know, rare species and things that I've always right that people don't put enough emphasis on. It's like, all right, well, I guess I'll put my money in my cage space where my mouth is. I'll do it. Right. Somebody's got to do it. You know, it's like, well, it'll be me, right? You know, I've got all manner of strange and, you know, sitting here now getting ready to clean. I just finished 50 adults. But it's like the one oh, wow. wall, it's like, well, no, it's just Haiti. It's it be the ones one I I always just a bunch of uh, uh, Vision V-18s up on top with like, juvenile stuff. But uh, that's one wall okay. down while we've been doing this. Now I'm starting on the uh, wall of a boreals with a bunch of heat-seeking missiles in here. tan bars. <laughs> <and> tan- there <laughs> you go. Oh, the tan bars. Those are snakes I love to hate. I mean, I like them, but I can't figure out why I like them because they're just horrible. Horrible
2: yeah. animals. <laughs> yep. Yep. What's in here? Yep. A
3: bunch of Amazon tree boas, some bar python, and the rough scales, oh, some crownless Russian brat. Those are pretty cool. And they're not too, yeah. too, too horrible as far as you know, that kind of stuff goes, anyway. How you are
1: know. the hares <laughs> doing?
3: Ah, I don't know. Wait for you to send me a mail.
1: <laughs> there you go.
3: <laughs> I got a female that I had raised since it was two and a half feet long, and it is ready to go. Eating good, doing great. I've got another female that is nowhere near big enough. But she was like a baby that was just past being a red. She was so small when she came in. I've had her. Oh, what year did I get her? I got her in 2012. So I've had her for three years. And she was like a not much. She had to be like 50 grams when I got her. 50, 60 grams. Yeah, I'm and I've raised her up. and She's doing well. Uh, I never seem to have like a healthy pair of those things. Uh, you know. At the same time. So it's yeah. like, I got a male, I got a female, I don't got a pair. Something will happen to the male at the last minute. You know, or three. But suddenly you always get the sense that, like, something, like you're close, but something's still just missing.
4: Eric, yeah.
2: send them in a male. Come on. You got, like, what, four?
1: Jesus. No, remember? <laughs> I, well, my male died. I only have the female. Oh,
3: no, that's right. They do that. Yeah, they do that. Uh, they, do five, that. they
1: do that, stupid Alma Harris. Uh, yeah, please, uh, I only, like, I only yeah, have
3: Fino, a female. Which Fino? I've had since
1: 2009. I've had this yeah. female since 2009. Was it the girl like, I saw?
3: I would you? just like no.
1: I no. would just like
3: to have like a 1.1 that I could actually put together and at least have the attempt. Never even getting to the attempt. <laughs> it's always like something you need to go you know, sideways before you ever even get to put them together. Right. It's yeah. Frustrating that species.
2: So I mean, if, if if you're in the audience, get Nick Mutton a Mahara boy. Just send it to me.
3: <laughs> you think that'd be yeah. easy? It's like I've got the uh, I've got uh, I've got the one the the a female I've raised from a juvenile and is eating like mice. When I got it, it's not large. Hmm. Oh, that was kind of sort of larger She's bigger to lay eggs, in my estimation, and is certainly old enough. But that is. I've had her since I got her as a young, young import, import four years ago. So she's been with me for four years and grew up here. So, do you do you
2: right. think that's the secret to imported animals getting them at a really young age?
3: I think with this, I think uh, in a general sense when you're talking about breeding pythons or anything, wild-caught adults are always harder to breed than juveniles. Animals that have either born in a box or have been raised their whole life in a box that don't really know much else. They're just, they're not put off by that. And they generally reproduce better. Uh, right. Males, a lot of pythons, if you get a wild-caught adult male, males will eventually usually come around because male snakes are just like male anything and male humans. We generally kind of want to get it on, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> so males, given enough time, males will eventually breed in captivity. Even wild-caught right. adult females will often breed in captivity, but they don't want to ovulate. Getting a female to ovulate, if it was, if it was collected, out of the wild, after the point of sexual maturity, the vast majority of female, wild-caught females that were collected after maturity will never ovulate in captivity for whatever reason. They might acclimate, they'll eat, they might even grow a bit, they'll breathe, but getting that last of ovulation seems to be really difficult and stuff. And of all the pythons, the scrub pythons are the worst for that. So if you get a wild-caught adult female helmahera, you basically just like a hood ornament, it's probably never going to do much. I mean, just, which is unfortunate. Males, you know, but male con- contribution to reproduction is obviously much more limited than it is with, with females. So
4: it's,
3: it is, uh, you know, getting uh, captured with a high-strung species like a scrub python, I think it's even more important than it is with other things.
4: So,
3: but, you we got to keep plugging away. Yeah, you know, I know. If nobody tries, if no one keeps, people don't keep putting the effort in, then you know we're never going to get it. Somebody's got to do this. It's basically yeah. the only species of python that's never been bred in captivity. And that alone, you think that's quite a... even a the world's first captive breeding? That's a pretty big deal, you know? And I'll sure. it is isn't easy, easy... I do think that a lot of it is that how many people are even trying. You know, it's not like there's, uh-huh. like, hundreds of people every year trying to breed Helmahera pythons. There's, like, how many people in the United States in 2015 do you think you even had a healthy adult pair that they put to faces and tried to breed? I know, <laughs> I know two.
1: I you know people. two
3: people that... That's- that had that had a pair that were healthy adults, and they actually had a chance. And I
1: that know. Ain't pretty good on. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> no, not at all. That ain't. Yeah, That no. ain't
3: much, is it? You know, it's like if you're. That is not a lot. I mean, it's uh. The more people you get trying, the more you will you invariably end up with more success because you know, the numbers game. And I tell you, those captive red ones, whenever they occur, will be gold because there you get that that you get that first generation is the hardest. Here's the first one. Mm-hmm. After that, those first-generation captive red ones that are born in a plastic tub or whatever, they, they know nothing else. They will be invariably just a little bit easier to breed than their parents were. And you start right. that long process, finally, with them. And, I mean, it's a neat
1: thing. Kind of like great, what you're I mean, seeing with I mean, ball pythons, right? Yeah.
3: yeah, and who is it? I mean, you've got a couple of guys that have been Mark and Phil over Frederick. there. Frederick, I mean, Yeah, Frederick Aberbrook. They I mean, keep plugging away. And now you got two guys that have produced these things several years running, multiple years running, different animals. It's like not always necessarily with like the greatest fertility rate and hatch rate, but getting some babies with frequency from different animals, you're getting close obviously they're on to something, you know what I mean? It's not if it was yeah. one time, one snake, one or two babies, but it's like year in, year out, every year, you know, different animals. Maybe you don't always get the best clutch, but Consistently getting some viable offspring, I mean, clearly on the right path, you know? And that's, you know, in those guys' face it's, you know, a lot of hard work and perseverance to keep plugging away at it. It's uh, and and So no that's exciting. I mean, it's finally turned to figure it out. But nobody's ever going to figure it out if nobody's trying. And, uh, yeah. I think a lot of people just like, yeah, yeah, so, they, oh, you know, nobody can breed bonus pythons. Like, well, what are you guys going to do about it? It's like, well, get in the game and <laughs> Get some skin in the game and try, man. If more people tried, there'd be more than like that. But there's very few people trying some of these things. I've got all manner of strange species of my own self. and I'm getting really obsessed with Candoya. I don't know why, because I eat a lot of weird lizard-eating boas from South Pacific, apparently.
1: Oh, you're that talking like Owen's language now. <laughs> there it is. I
3: love them, <laughs> but I love them. But, uh, I love them. If you give me... Uh, no. <laughs> <Vibranite>, they were <laughs> no. awesome but they are uh, you know I mean one time we saw a capture bread candle anything uh, almost never no I mean it's like, <laughs> virtually never I... you see, there are people who bred the I have to catch the US captive bred, you know white-faced ground bones but other than that you don't see a lot of captive breeding breeding uh, the tree bows which were basically unavailable because nobody bred them Fifteen years ago, the
4: last time
3: they were actually imported, mm-hmm. and some got imported, and now they're not being allowed to be exported again. So you had like a six-month window where a few shipments of them came in, and they got a to bunch of them. But those are awesome snakes, and kind the of small boreal, super docile. I mean, they're pretty cool. I mean, but there's a, you know, somebody's got to. There, there are several
2: it. animals out there that I want them to get into the country and then be established in a breeding program. So I think they're awesome. Like the dragon rat snake, the eyelash boas, is a bunch of really weird off-the-cuff stuff. So I mean,
3: it's I'm like hopeful when it's they become available, you can be the one who does it. I mean, it's like I will. Don't like I never said that whole like people that you know the bad in pocket and You hear it all the time. People are like oh, they like they want to wait on the sidelines until someone else gets fixed the chance with the import. Someone else does the work, figures it all out. And then they can just buy the captive bread end product. It's kind of like, man,
2: this is go <laughs> the for fifth it. fifth generation captive bread. You know? yeah.
3: yeah. It's like, man, if everybody does that, that's why a lot of stuff isn't around. Because everybody takes the wait and see approach. Instead of just kind of going for it, if you think something's important, then go for it. I mean, it's like, then try it. I mean, what's wrong with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. got
4: a whole
3: lot of stuff like that and stuff. So, I mean, you know, I now have adult... Well, not adult, but adult and near-adult groups of every species of candoia that you can get. I've got, you know, Tasmai, Palsinii, Carinata, Car- I mean, Carinata, I've got, uh, you know, you know, Vibroni, I've got all that stuff and everything. at least five of everything. Because once we saw a captive-bred Halmahera boa, uh, effectively never, or a captive-bred mm-hmm. Piper boa, they're pretty neat snakes, really, but you just don't ever yeah. see. because nobody... Because nobody, and the biggest reason, it's not like they won't breed and catch it, is that nobody bothers to try and stuff. And that's kind of, I don't know, kind of sad, really. But it's important. That's the lesson of the day. If you think something's important, there's something that something should be bred and kept, breed and kept in captivity, Go get
2: it. Don't yeah, wait for nobody else it. to do
3: it. I mean, if you think it's important, do it, you know? And nobody cares if you anything, but if it's worthwhile doing, then, then, then go for it, man. Everybody... And there's so many we have a lot more species available to us if more people will do that. And conversely, if you see somebody who did breed some rare things, support that guy. Don't buy the wild caught import, buy the guy's captive red mm-hmm. like, ones. You
4: know, yeah, right. That
3: helps incentivize things a little bit, you know. I mean for some of the stuff like, you know, the Candolia, I don't have the choice but to buy wild caught. Because they are not in captivity at all. I mean in in most of these cases. I did buy a friend in decided to a huge litter of uh the white faced puls and ground bows and I bought two pairs uh, and everything from and they're great. I did get a couple of wild caught ones that genetic diversity, but I bought two point two captive bred white ones. They're awesome.
2: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I got the I got the pair of baby golds that are captive born and bred and I'm excited for them to raise them up.
3: Who, who produced those ones?
2: Uh Steve Tillis.
3: Oh, he actually them? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um no, 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 uh, say drug. Drug. <laughs> I I well I mean
3: because well, there's been there's been a bunch of uh that came in and as usual those some of them are grabbing. I mean
2: and so it was uh yeah, he had a pair and they did breed and he had a. It, I know his female was tiny. I think he only had like six, seven eggs out of the clutch. So Maybe he'd rather No, even my kid, I met
3: him another, no, I mean it was not meant to be like He's before the slight, I just you see Imported females are grabbing with those. You do. Coming in and dropping 50 babies, like, whoa! Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, he actually, uh, I want to say this female was so small, she couldn't even coil the eggs. They're both. They don't don't lay
3: eggs, so... (laughs)
2: No, I was talking about, talking about, face, about it? Face, white lips. What? Gold face, white oh, lips. Oh,
3: white lips. Oh, you're talking about... So gold on, face, white, white lips. I like, was like, what, what are you talking
1: about? about? What are you hey, talking about? about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Out
3: of your mind. Oh, that, a, was wrong. that
1: was officially <laughs> gone to shit. If you're done, done, make shit up now,
3: now. now, Jesus Christ, Christ. man. you? I'm sitting here, I've got one impureal cage left, and it's my gold female that laid the clutch. and This is the meanest snake I've ever owned, and that says a lot. One point I oh, had wow. fifty four adult one point I had fifty four adult scrub found, and this is the meanest thing I it's just looking at me and I'm like, I'm not even gonna clean you. I'm just gonna The only way I can really clean you is you do the old school clean and feed trip where you hand them like a rat and while they're killing right. the hell out of that rat, you quickly really fast clean the cage. Take the cage water you gotta do the clean and feed with her and one of the other bars. They're just it's they just a jerk. <laughs> no reason why are you so mad at me i clean up after you i feed you why do you hate me so much and i got these as like i got them they were imported babies but they were still red i mean they were right out of the egg i think they were for grabbing female i mean they were like right out of the egg Imported, never even been fed before they don't know anything but living here and they just they just despise me that's uh that's, huh what are you gonna do i guess you know, they do
1: judge of the character or something mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. We're almost out of time, but what I would ask you is, what was your uh, anticipated clutch last well, season? My most just... anticipated clutch this year? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's always things like, you know, I got a
3: bunch of head off. I know all the pythons are getting ready to step. But they're just going to look normal. Oh, I mean, sweet!
4: Yeah, I,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I got two clutches of them. So that's nice. A, that's interesting. I, I may hatch pygmy pythons for the first time, so that would be first for me. I don't know. I mean, that's some of the, the carpet stuff, me. I'm like trying to get my caramel head example project off in spades this year. It's had a 17 eggs hatch from a proven super caramel to an exampic jack, and I know it will come as a surprise to some people who are still, for whatever reason, just refuse to accept things like facts and science, but... Once again, my proven super caramel female. Seventeen eggs, seventeen caramels. There's not even they're all oddly I, I only have like five jags and two of the jags I'm kind of sketchy about. Are these jags? Like I've got some ambiguity whether or not a couple of these are jags or not, but they're all rock solid caramels, all seventeen. So so far she's uh, I think thirty one and zero for all caramels, unless you think that's a getting really lucky or something, you know. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, like I got a whole bunch of uh Caramel and a few caramel jag. you got a striped caramel jag head exantic. Uh, female, so I guess I'm keeping that one. Wow. But,
4: uh,
3: well, for us curious, the cool. guys, there's not many morph combos we can make. You know, but I can, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can make a lot of like super striped, and super caramel exantic, you know, tiger jag things. I can do a lot of that. So I gotta, I gotta do what I can, right? Uh, with those, but yeah, I'm sorry, uh, I got another one that. Uh, just dropped another Super Carmel, we'll just dropped an unproven one, so I guess the special be to prove if she's a Super or not. I still believe in proving them out the hard way, just to be on the safe side, but uh, so far, right. I'm 4-0. Oh. I'm 4-0 mm-hmm. oh on proving out Supers. I've got two more I'm proving out this year by breeding the non-carmel, non-red, non-nothing. i got a male normal Super Carmel and a female, but I've read the exam do, so we'll see if my track record extends to the perfect 6.0. I'm bound to get you know, crap out one of these times, but now I can just breathe individual exantics though so, so I don't have to use normal people anymore.
2: support. Uh, you are speaking my language. I want some more Xantics. So Oh I
3: already I already hashed out your exotic man. You want a male or a female, right? A male?
2: <laughs> anyway, I gotta get a, I a boy. To, I gotta get another one. I
3: just hashed out five, so
2: Nice. <laughs> well,
3: now I'm like, well, I started out slow with hats because I wanted – I got hats from particular clutches because I wanted to diversity. So I got a – my hats are originally – my original hats are 50% of the original Swedish line and then 25% each two additional coastal lines that weren't related to each other or to the original line. So therefore, I – I mean, my, all my exotic stuff is at least 50% uh, – even the visuals are 50% outcrossed. These you know, caramel was up around 75% removed from the original bloodline. And stuff and I've had no problems at all They eat. They grow. They breed really well. Really young. They're just super vigorous. Things have been done very well as far as that goes. But uh, yeah, I just had 20. I just had 23 babies out of 22 eggs. Jeez. Uh, from the exampic jag to head exampic, I think I have something ridiculous. I think I got seven male exampic jags and five male exampics. It was a ridiculous clutch. It was like a 17.5 or 17.6 or something, just absurdly male heavy. But I did get uh, I did get five exampic non-jag exampic males.
2: Oh, uh, there I, we have go. Great,
3: I have a great great selection for you to choose from,
2: Yeah, very good. <laughs> I kept
3: I kept a couple of them. I got a set of I got a set of twins when they were doing heading graphics. So, the clutch. So wow. uh, then I got the I kept all my visuals back from last year. I don't need to. I can release the show. I've been hoarding what I produced, visualized, or a lot of them. The first show I kept all the visuals, so I didn't have any. So I started halfway to keep those back. Now my own visuals that I made, my own visuals. But if you're like obsessed with the lineage of these things and the ancestry, it's like I almost have to do it that way sometimes. Uh, so this year is breeding like exotics that I produced myself. to supercarves I produced myself, but I, well, I got you know. It sucks to be in these sometimes if you gotta you can't just buy some awesome thing you found. You gotta do this crazy background check to
4: <laughs>
3: vet its ancestry and stuff. And then you know, I just paid eight hundred bucks for a paranormal of normal devils but it was like they checked all the boxes and they were beautiful and they the background checked out and I was able to verify everything. It's rare. Back to harken back to your original point with people like, Oh, you know, these breeders don't have name recognition and everything. You know, sometimes I don't think they can sell stuff. The guy I bought this from is nobody you've heard of, really. It's like it's not a high-level guy at all. It's a, you know, a guy who just started breeding things. He had the right animals with the right background, and I bought it from him and I gave him actual money. It wasn't <laughs> a trade deal. It's like I had to break out the wallet, blew all the dust off of it, and everything, and probably <laughs> real, you know, kind of top dollar for a normal jungle. But it's kind of a so it, it happens. It's what you
2: need. Like, yeah.
3: Well, the animals were what I needed, you know, ancestry-wise, and the quality was what I was looking for, and that's what he wanted, and I, you know, if, if all the other foxes checked, you kind of have to assure, you got to buy it, you got to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, it's probably it's easier to sell things when you're a better-known breeder, I suppose, but it doesn't mean you can't. Uh, and any of us that are, I guess, at that point where we are, I guess, well-known as far as This or that. I mean, that didn't just happen. That didn't just fall out of the sky and land on us. You know, it kind of built up over time, and quite intentionally in most cases. So it's like you got to start somewhere, and everything. I remember, you know, I was at that point, you know, early on, and everything. And you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, so to speak. But anybody can do that. I mean be careful what you breed, only focus on the best quality animals you can, and don't rip anybody off, and it will eventually, you'll get there. It's like if you've got yeah. good stuff and your reputation is good, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like you ever do right by your customers and everything, and you will, slowly but surely, you will through a good reputation. Yeah. Nothing, that, nothing, that, nothing weird about it or unusual. It's like same as it's always been. I mean,
2: it's, uh... <laughs> The magical ear. So, ah, <laughs> yeah, it's like old
3: right? expression yeah. you know, of, like, if you, if you, if you do right by somebody, they'll tell somebody they know. But if you piss somebody off, they'll tell everybody they know. It's like,
4: you
3: got to – a good reputation is, takes a long time to build up. and It's very easily destroyed. So, yeah, really – and some people don't ever see the, the people making the same mistakes and they're playing pretty fast and loose with their reputation and stuff. I saw – again, I will not mention, you know – who it was, the name would, you know, would be recognizable to some people and I was pretty surprised mm-hmm. we're not talking about a major player in the grand scheme of things, but the person who, who've been following Moralia drama lately uh you yeah. know, in the last the last however long and everything, I mean it's a uh, the post seemed to imply like, you know, they got a whatever breeding result, you know, and everything and they were it appears like they 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 must have run two males, like an albino and a tiger, to the same female. I'm like, well, I'm not seeing a tiger, so that means these babies are all head albino. It's like, whoa, no, it doesn't. Like, it's like, <laughs> dude, you, like oh, you met no, a Oh my god, it's like that's like you can't even. Oh, you put two males there, and you think you can tell. You know, if you put a zebra to a female and a jag to a female, and I guess the female's normal, I guess you know who the zebra's baby daddy is and the jag's daddy is, but anything that isn't one of those two things, you don't know. And you can't guarantee it, because you're talking recessive stuff, and you see this kind of thing all the time. People are like, oh, I'll free this albino, you know, whatever, and I read this Mojave ball to this female and whatever, and, you know, it's like, well, I didn't get any Mojave, so they must all be head out I was like, no. No, it's like that's not the that means- Firm storage and dual fraternity. It's like, Oh my God, like you guys are, you wonder what happens. Like if you think, even if they legitimately think something's what it is, they tell something, it doesn't pan out to be, you kind of just rip somebody off out of ignorance, it's just kind of, I don't know. I mean, I, and you see that kind of thing uh, you know, all the time and stuff and people don't really, I don't know. I'm paranoid. I'm so paranoid about that kind of stuff. Like I don't, I'm not even, uh, you know, with the carpets and everything, I don't have a lot of recessive projects. It's kind of, uh, a you know, like, I, I do, but I'm not, like, playing musical males with anything. It's like, this is a male. And if it doesn't work out, it just doesn't work out. I mean, there have been a couple of times where I had genetically identical males, you know. I, I had two yeah. granite males. And if you know, one didn't breed and then I rotated the other one in, and then I had to make an notation that this is, you know, I can't rule out the possibility that it wasn't this other male. I had an ivory jungle clutch years ago, and, you know. I couldn't be sure, I was pretty sure it was this one, but I couldn't be totally positive it wasn't the other one. I had to note that it was more than likely one, but you know, in the lineage that there's a possibility of this other male could have been a flyer. It's like you can't, you know, put there effectively, you know, if the animals are brothers and anything anyway, they're not like a huge deal, I suppose, but you have got to be up front that And playing fast and losing, like, recessive genes, and it's like, oh, my God, you you can burn your reputation on really fast when things don't turn out to be what they're supposed to be tough because he just didn't yeah. even didn't, didn't grasp it at that level. So I don't know. your yeah, reputation jealously, I
2: suppose. That's one of the things I'm worried about with uh, caramel and super caramel. That's why I'd much rather sell you an ugly super caramel for the price of a caramel as opposed to, you know, trying to get you to turn it out not be a super caramel. But yeah. you, you, you I can was pretty much tell that- us apart. The
3: next couple of years, I'll have some very satisfied customers who got super caramels from me as caramels. is the first. <laughs> I did the math, and if I hit the statistical average based on club size, I think I sold between 12 and 15 super caramels as normal caramels the first <laughs> couple of years. Yep. Well, the first two years, I all I did was, you know, I hadn't proven it all out yet. I mean, the gene was proven out before I got it, but I hadn't proven my female out. Because uh, it can be confusing. My original... Caramel Jag was supposed to be a Super Caramel Jag, and my original Caramel female was supposed to be a Caramel, not a Super Caramel. Now, she was the nicest looking non-Super, and it turns out she was a Super, and my, what we thought was a Super Caramel Jag, at the time, I didn't get ripped off or anything because it was the first Super Caramel Clutch, Super Caramel yeah. Jag Clutch produced, and I just paid the same price as a Caramel Jag, but it was we believed it was a Super Caramel. I didn't pay additional for it because it was a known commodity. So the one I was very confident was a super caramel jag, wasn't? And the one that I didn't think was turned out it was. Uh, the ones I produced myself, I've been a little bit better at dividing what's what. But there is enough overlap to where you should be very careful about that. I only ever sold the first two years. I only ever sold, I think, three super caramels as super caramels. The other ones I kept, or I just sold as really nice caramels. Statistically, 12 the right. 15 of them, I sold as normals would have had to have been. Uh, super statistically. It could have been more, could have been less. But I don't, you know, it was always better to, you know, if somebody buys a caramel and it turns out when they bring it, it's to super caramel, well, you got a new best friend man, and a customer for life. Yeah. You're super out not to be, you know, that's hard to fix. I only ever sold like yeah. the three and they were the so over-the-top extreme that it was just like, if that doesn't prove out, I'll give you your money back. No questions asked. Like, that's like, mm-hmm. you know, they were that, the extreme, the top 2% kind of animals and, and stuff. Now I'm at the point now where, I think this year I'm going to have two clutches of caramels that, well, I guess I'll nah, have four. I have two clutches of caramels that will all be 100% percent head uh, uh But I use super caramels as a visual example so I don't like, I'll have good odds.
4: And, uh, had
3: a, uh, and I had a, a female, I have a couple females, so I breed just to test these super caramels out. They don't produce red babies. There hasn't been a red baby in their ancestry going back 20 years. So if it comes out and it's red, I know what it is. There's no possibility of confusion. And I've got mm-hmm. a clutch of a, an MI clutch that should hatch any, really should have hatched a couple of days ago, I would have thought, uh, to prove out a male supercarmel. And I expect he will prove out, but I'm taking the extra step. I wanted to use him this year against the super caramel jag, but instead I literally read Supercarmel jag to Super Carmel jag twice because I uh, I've proven these off last year, uh, but I didn't have a male supercarmel that wasn't jag to prove out. So, yeah. I, don't want, I just want to make all supers. So, every baby is going to be a super because i bred, and I know it, because I can guarantee it, because i proved their parents out independently by bringing them to normals. Last year, I bit the bull. That's why I had so many babies. I had 138 caramels to caramel jags last year. Because proving all those out, bringing them all to the normals, I'll never have to do it again, but I just bit the bull and did it once. But it's not it. It kills you to breed a fully striped super caramel jag female to a normal male. Yeah. Uh, they had three of them. I was a striped wow. male, but then I got some beautiful babies. But I, you know, it killed me to do that because I could have bred a super caramel male to them, but I it wouldn't have proven conclusively what was going on. And I thought, given all the speculation from certain individuals, I guess more than others, it's like we'll just go the extra mile here. And now I know for sure. And it was nice. I mean, I bred an exact shank to a proven super caramel, and I knew before those eggs that's exactly what was going to be them. an entire clutch. 17 eggs, give me 17 caramels at example and some old BJ. I got exactly what I expected, no surprises uh, and stuff. And it's, uh, and next year I'll be able to presumably breed super caramel to super caramel, super strike super caramel to, you know, I'll be able to make these things and. Nice.
4: You know,
3: like going that extra step and proving them out and everything is uh, uh, makes a difference there and you know, stuff. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah Eric got yourself. my
2: attention now because he's got the um ghost. Stuff cooking with the uh, uh, caramel exanic he got from you. So.
1: Caramel head exanic.
2: Yeah. Caramel head exanic. Uh,
1: uh,
3: sorry. it probably go this year.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, He's either going go right, to go to, uh, I could go totally crazy and put him with the exanic zebra.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <You know, laughs> I want
3: to buy
1: it. I want
3: to buy goat uh, can't <laughs> do it if you're going to go that far off the deep end. You can reel it in. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I really uh, uh, the exampic thing. I was that's one I kind of regret. I should have been more aggressive about it. Uh, Cause like, you know, I know the right people. I could have got in. I get into these projects kind of at the very beginning. I probably could have got into that a little bit earlier than I did. Even like, probably yeah. I did not really anticipate that the demand for exampic stuff would be as high as it is, But there's just a ton of people who want that stuff. I really yeah. kind of. Uh, I mean, I've been on it. I mean, and stuff. But I mean. I didn't want to start out with the inbred stuff. I wanted to start out making healthier animals or animals with a better chance of being stronger genetically, is my estimation. And so I went that route, but I feel like I could have done that even sooner. And, it, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I miscaged the kind of uh, demand for those exantics. So. Uh, I'll have plenty this year. I got I should produce a couple of World's First combos. I will produce the first uh, uh, Super Carnival Super Jag. I probably should have six or seven of them, really. Uh, so we'll have that. Uh, the first uh, super carmel Lucy. Uh, <laughs> nice. and I should also produce. I should also produce two or three exotic Lucys also. So have a big uh, photo shoot for those. Uh, I'm pretty sure they'll just be white, conked out. But uh, you will see a couple world world first combos there. But uh, what are you gonna do, right?
4: Yeah. <clears throat> I got awesome. the
3: same problem like a lot of people have where you have like too many jags. And sometimes, like the first time I produced Exanthic, the only visual Exanthic mail I hatched the first year was a Jag. And so I didn't, act, you know, I'd take a distance where you needed a non Jag version. And I did I've got them now. I've raised a couple of them for this issue and non Jag Exanthic males, but I don't, like, you don't want to be able to have the option, the Jag option or not. Yeah. It does make them look. They are a little bit nice. The jag thing with the wider light areas gives them almost like a blue tint to the they head. They're really nice.
2: Yeah, they are very nice.
3: So I, I figure everybody's going to do the jag to jag thing eventually, right?
2: Eventually. Uh, I'm yeah. yeah. I've
3: never actually. This is the year. And I'm not delusional. In the, what I, I know exactly what's going to happen. It's just kind of like.
2: <laughs>
3: uh I do not have the ingredients. I need to without the jag on the other side. So it's like well. Oh, well.
4: Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, we are. Uh, what's that? <laughs> everybody else has everybody, done
3: it? else done it. I'm still left out. So it's my turn, I guess, this year. No. <laughs> I just want to get it. My goal is if I can get a good picture of one while still breathing, that would be for that brief window. If I had to cut the egg and pull it out or something, I bet. But it's like kind of a. Probably. Yeah, I don't know, maybe I'll do like a good necropsy and show the poor lung development and everything and do a blog about it or something. Sure. I do have a, I'll, I'll plug my upcoming blog and radio show now, though I do have a pretty interesting, I did hatch something kind of an anomaly, another, another genetic anomaly that should be impossible, but I did hatch one, so uh, I'm going to do the blog about it, and I'm going to have uh, Dr. Travis Wyden, who's a priest involved by but he's an actual geneticist.
1: Well, I don't him hmm. on. is that the, uh I what, a splun- what, guy? What, is that the guy what? that goes by a splunty? is that the guy that was just on the yeah. um royal Travis. uh yeah okay yeah I, uh, i've had him on as well uh real good guy but uh just in case he might think so, i'm making stories
3: up i'll have him on wait I know what happened. I actually had a weird kind of feeling like I've been waiting for it to happen because statistically, I've made so many snakes over the years. Like, why is this occurrence if not ever happened to me? And, it's like, this was the year, first one to figure that out, the thing that shouldn't be there, uh, or shouldn't be able to be there, but under, you know, you know I mean, I'll, I'll post about it. But uh, I've seen it before uh, where, you you know, you get some little breed of, you know, uh, a recessive animal to a non-het and produce a visual. Uh, and huh. it's not part of the, and it can't be parthenogenesis in this case, just uh, because, uh, yeah, I, uh, you, I'll keep an eye on Wait, let me, it.
1: I'll post a picture of it, but. Yeah. Let me digest that again real quick. You said you bred yeah. non-hets and made a visual of something? Is that right? I bred right? a
3: granite, I bred a granite IJ to a, non, a wild-caught non-het and made a granite.
4: How'd that, that happen? <laughs> well,
3: it, it is possible, and there are very, under very specific circumstances it is possible. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's very complicated to, hear you to breed this animal. Uh, at that point, but that'll be the topic of discussion. I got a picture of it coming out of the egg. Uh, cool. A lot of times, the people, in the animal, the mother is not a hen. I bred the same parents last year. I got 12 eggs, no granites. I bred them this year, 13 eggs, one granite, 12 heads. She's not a hen. Uh, that's not huh. how this happened and everything. Uh, you see this, occasionally people have this, it happens with ball fight once in a while, and people are like, oh, I didn't know my, my female was for Ghost. Like, maybe it wasn't hep for Ghost. There's this whole other possibility they don't really understand, that, and they make the assumption that, oh, the animal just turned out it was a whatever and everything, and that's not necessarily the case. So, uh, But it's a little bit uh, higher level genetic talk, I guess, but uh, I don't know, I've been, it's been killing me not to post a picture because people like, you know, trying to get their brain around and it will just explode. But I think when you, those are the breed snake mutations and everything, if be wise to understand this stuff, it's not, it's not something that's indicative of just a mutation. It's just that the mutation gives you a window into something that was already happening. It's like this phenomenon happens with any gene or gene. It's just that when it happens to occur at the locus where one of these color and pattern mutations occurs, it allows us to visually see something that was going on behind the scenes anyway. And, right. it, and it just, you know, it allows you to visually see it and stuff. So, I'll, uh, we'll talk about that. But yeah, so I've got a. Cool. I wish it was a female, because if it's a male, it's more problematic, but it, it's a boy. But it's uh, uh But it is a. Uh, I almost like have to breed it out of some sort of weird curiosity, like a chimeric paradox <laughs> I have. <because> it's <laughs> like. Uh, a collection of genetic misfits. <laughs> but, uh,
1: yeah, I don't know.
3: Keep an eye out for that one, I guess. So Where do we cool. find your blog I'm, at, Nick? Uh yeah. on Hurt Nation, of course, which I'm pretty much uh, part and parcel with those guys now. Got some good friends for yep. years, and now uh, fully on board uh, the Hurt Nation team as far as the, you know, editorially and you know, running things on the day-to-day basis and all that. And I write for him, and then he. As if I didn't have enough to do with all that. Oh, I need to have a blog too. So now I have a. <laughs> I think now I have a column in every issue. I write feature articles. I have a blog. I help run the day-to-day operations of magazine and everything. I have a podcast. There's like, not. I mean, Nick yeah, needs another job to do. Apparently, so. But uh, I put it on my website. But uh, there you know on my Facebook page and stuff. There's links all over the place. I put one up. I'm ready to type up another one tonight probably. Uh, next couple Cool. Of I saw your days.
1: last one was on uh, maternal incubation. So uh, I know yeah, a lot have, of our listeners well, I, have questions on that. So. Mm-hmm.
3: One of these days, I've got a giant article on that that's kind of this giant thing that I've been gathering statistical data for like six years on and setting right. probes and clutches and all this. I need to just – every time I almost get done with it, then I get busy, and it's like, ah, because it's always hatching season. I'm like, well, I'll just get next year's data, and I'm going to finish that. I'll publish it probably as a feature around the time eggs are being laid so that it's like timely. you know, about the time people are considering that as an option. There'll yeah. be a lot of statistical information in there and stuff. It'll be pretty meaty and stuff, but that's uh, we'll have more species. So there'll be, it's not just, I've done olive the pythons, Antaresia, ball pythons, all the carpet pythons. It's more than just, you know, a couple of carpet clutches. It's a lot of clutches and a lot of species and three ge- genuses right. and you know, kind of four genuses actually. Uh, trying to get to you know they can say a little more than just as it related to carbon python because some of these species are very good at it. They're a little more pretty awful at it, really. Uh, it's it's in a Their ability Python's ability to maternally incubate eggs is not evenly distributed. Some do are very proactive, some do not, and different strategies of how they go about it and you know to bring about So some species are highly recommend it, some I would caution against it, you know, having done it. done right. so, uh, multiple times now, huh. all these groups. <laughs> so, now we'll get get that what? done, and yeah, you know, all kinds of stuff. The next couple blogs will be more genetic oriented, everything. I'm gonna, uh, you know, update my chimera, uh, my my super zebra, zebra super zebra, Frankenstein thing. I've got some color <laughs> up. It's starting to color up a lot now, and so stuff. It's pretty bizarre. Kind of an update on that blogger Kind of. A I love that format thing. To, it's, it's yeah, really a freak. I, that's cool. I'll, I'll try to breed it just out of some, I'll try to breed it just out of some sort of curiosity. I have a right. couple of super zebra females that are ready to breed this year. I don't know what to do with. I don't, see, if I if I was a morph guy like you guys, like you Eric, and picked it all up, I, I wouldn't have to worry about what to do with a super zebra female. I'm like, all right. <laughs> all right, here we go. I have two adult super zebra females. When I trained it, I just couldn't sell them. I was like, I was like, I don't have one of these. I and mean, they're both girls, but I just kept the first couple. They're both ready to breed. Just clean one them while we're talking. Uh, they're ready to go. I don't have any idea what to do with them though. Uh, right. Maybe put an ivory with them or something, and make a whole bunch of ivory zebras or something. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. Got a few more months yet yeah, to figure that out. Well, yeah. <coughs> I've got nearly adult ivory zebras from the first.
1: Oh man! One of these, I'm gonna to have to, to take a trip to see uh, what hidden gems you have at the uh, Inland Reptile. Yeah. <laughs>
3: There's always a little something. something. Uh, yeah. Well, some of the, well, that's the nice thing about being in the breeder. It's like you can just it back whatever you want. I got. It. I never sold any of the ivory zebras. I never sold any hypo striped freddles. I kept all of them. You know, I, I'll have a double head stone wash every try right, brittles here on the ground. Eggs on the ground, probably. The next, you know, could be the next week. I have a funny feeling those are sticking around too. You know, it's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta gotta keep your competitive edge, I guess. At least the first year, because a lot of that stuff, you know, I don't know with those hypo head trucks. I don't know which ones going to turn out the best.
0: If right. I
3: sold them all, and I just kept a couple pairs. Well, like, what if I didn't eat the best one? Sometimes right. the ones you think are the best, but initially aren't the best ones in the long run. If you keep them all, you know it's the very best. I have to keep the very finest examples. You know how many zebra jungles I have? It just blows my mind how many I've kept back. I've got a zebra, at least one from every clutch I've ever produced. Ah. I held back. I've held back seeing seven and ten zebras each of the last four years. Um, mm-hmm. You don't keep them all forever, and I don't breed them all. It's like, but you don't know. Right. like you keep back the a good group of what you think of the cream of the crop and you hold it back and you see how they color up, but then you breathe the best of those. and you repeat the process. And it's like I get a you're really aggressively pushing for – at this point in my herb career, it's like I cannot have kind of the average thing. It's got to be – I don't have any space left. It's like if it isn't awesome, I don't have room for average. It's got to be exceptional. You know, and you don't know always what that and which one that is. So you got to just cast a wide net sometimes. And just, well, you're always looking for that – that one animal that there's one in every clutch that just takes the project to the next level. You know, there's, you know, there's going to be one If you have 20 eggs. There's going to be one out of 20 that's going to be the one that goes to the next level of, uh, of quality. And you just got to keep pressing on. It's like, or you get left behind. Cause there's, if you're not going to do it, somebody else is. And, uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you can't, uh, you can't maintain a level of, you know, whatever, you know, longevity in the business and be able to keep doing this, for a living like I do if you're not the if you don't have the good stuff you gotta always have the good stuff and so, right that's why I've got 18 hypoheadsteronic brittles in here from last year 18 of them really don't <laughs> want 18 of them at all at right. point I mean I have to thin that herd but I need to know which ones that maybe at 18 months which ones were the best ones I keep those right. ones because I want the best possible offspring you know and it's like you, but you don't know I I cannot count how many times I've had to buy my own offspring back from people. Kept back a couple, sold the rest of them. Then the ones I sold turned out better than the ones I kept back. And then I'm trying to buy back my own babies at three times what I sold them for. And that sucks. Yeah. Uh, so, but, it, you know, it happens. So that's, uh, that's what you got to do. sometimes. all right, well, I should let you guys go. Sounds like you're trying to get me out the phone. And as usual, I won't shut up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, we, we're off. Anyway, all right. Uh Nick, Nick uh, uh, Inland Reptile.com, Right. Uh, uh, Inland Reptile. You can check out your uh uh podcast on uh, HerpNationRadio.com or herpnation.com. It's all just HerpNation through herpnation It's all there. Uh, okay. But uh
3: everything's there, blog's there, radio shows there, stuff. Uh, it's uh I should have a Ooh. new episode of that, two or three. I'm trying to get like three or four of them recorded in advance, so that when I'm pulling my hair out with all these baby snakes, I'm kind of uh, sent out into the future a little bit. <laughs> yeah, makes <laughs> sense. So I, I give myself a
2: little bit of a cushion, hey, you know. It's uh, it's hard to do yeah. it regularly, as you guys know. You guys are the most regular guys <laughs> in
3: the business. <laughs> That's something right? Eric wanted that from the get-go. Rain or was the deal. That was the deal. You guys are literally, well, look at this week, a tornado watch, and you guys are on anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you, know, you guys get you guys be, get hit by the tornado, and it still be on. And that matters if you consistently just always on. You guys, you know, on Tuesdays, you can always, you may not be able to count on much, but you guys will be and and here. Uh, <laughs> and it's hard, and I would have not thought, I didn't think it was going to be as hard as it is either. And now that I, I do it myself, it is damn difficult. Life kind of gets yeah. in the way of stuff, but you guys, I have a, you know, anybody thinks it's easy, just oh, let's do a podcast every week. It's like it is not easy to do and stuff. It's uh, a, <laughs> it's a real commitment of time and stuff. So you guys, uh, give a round of applause for that for sure.
4: <laughs>
3: appreciate I know it. A lot of, your, you. legion, your, legion, your legions of fans appreciate your uh, hard work and uh, uh, consistency every week. So, but usually not in the middle of yeah, the that- night or anything.
1: Yeah, usually not Yeah, we actually it, so. We actually <laughs> did hit, hit by tornado down here because Zach is is messaging me that uh the boulevard shut down and trees are all over the place. <laughs> so Yeah uh, legit, I uh, actually got uh,
2: sunlight. Well the storm passed, I'm good. <laughs> there you
3: go. Yeah. All uh, right, guys.
1: Nice.
3: Great talking bye. You, as always.
1: Likewise, thank you. Next.
3: Thank you. you. Bye
1: bye. Yeah, I don't know if uh, you if you guys caught the uh, last episode of Nick's podcast, but uh, was uh, he talked with uh, Dr. Uh, Fry uh, about his uh, recent book uh, on revenge, and it was uh, really a good show. So you should check that out. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely, yeah, definitely worth <laughs> It was it. quite entertaining. Yeah. That is quite entertaining as well, so, uh, to say the least. But uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna roll. Off. We're gonna start, but uh, we're gonna end. Uh, sorry, that, uh, Paul. I hope you're feeling better. Uh, you know, and we'll get you again at uh, some point in the near future. Um, you know, um, I don't know. So next week, we are talking with Andy Grossman from that's at sun's Sun... Oh, shit. Sunrise? <laughs> this is Sunrise or Sunset? Oh, damn it. Uh, no. Yeah, anyway. Something to do with the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I suck. I'm sorry, Andy. Anyway, um... He is uh, talking to Antaresia uh, uh, with, uh... uh Mr. Sarsman uh, because uh, he is, uh, quite... quite the prolific breeder of, uh, uh, Andrea, yes, Carpatel. He also does Royals and a couple of other things here and there. So uh, should be interesting to talk to him uh, about them. Uh, seem to be, uh, you know, maybe the babies are a little tricky. Yeah, you know, so maybe he can give mm-hmm. us some tips, some tricks on uh, how to get those guys to go. I'm actually quite fine. Kind of weird that I had, I have a pair of children's, and. You know, when I seen them in pictures and and everything like that, I, I kind of really didn't uh I get the full appreciation of them. But mm-hmm. yeah, actually, have, uh, <laughs> like they really are literally like a little tiny python. It's yeah. really kind of neat. So I don't know. I don't Remember when you had the you had the granite spotted, right, Owen?
2: I had to, yeah, I had the granite spotted pythons that were the size of uh, you know small ball pythons. And-
1: I think it was yeah, I remember some, like, coming to your place. It was like, I'm like, oh. Yeah. I couldn't believe that that was a python and that they were breeding age, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, it should be cool to, to talk to him. Uh, the week after that, we have uh, John Battaglia coming back. Uh, a lot of people know him as Sloop from MP Days. Nice. But... Uh, He's from Reptile Trophy Club. He he came on the show a long time ago, Way back long. in the very beginning of when we did this. Uh, um, we had so no idea guy. what we were doing. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> he released an article on um, selective breeding in <laughs> reptile magazine. Uh, so he's going to be coming on and chatting with us um, about. <coughs> Uh, he also is uh, quite the hybridizer uh, uh, with carpenteros and such, so we'll see what's going on in that world. And uh, you know, if if you if you've ever heard uh, the line of jung- diamond jungle jags as uh, gamma line jungle jags, mm-hmm. this is a show that you want to be paying attention to because uh, he's uh, he's quite. Quite the guy. He's a super nice guy. Um, and in the week after that, uh, this is, uh, I guess, this will be part two of our morph series. Um, we did the Jag show, and I think right. it's now time for the Tiger show. Nice. So we're going to be doing a show on the Tiger Carpet Python Morph. Uh, we're going to go into the history and, and such and uh, what's been done with it. And I, I kind of think of the any better guest to come on and talk to us about that? Uh, usually we're doing then these Howard Redding. But, uh, what? Not Redding. Not, no, not Howard. Redding, Howard, Howard.
2: Redding, right? Yeah. Nobody else but no. Timmy Tigers, but Howard, right? Oh, no,
1: Jason Balin. Oh,
2: Jason. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that guy.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Last. Sorry, Howard. I'm not trying to say that you're not a good director. <laughs> Good Lord, give the guy, the main guy, some cred, man. Um, anyway, he's going to be coming on and we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, I mean, Jason is pretty much the guy when it comes to the uh, Deer Morph. Uh, he's worked with many projects with it. Uh, he's doing some uh, some cool stuff. So can't wait to talk to him about that. And that's kind of what we have lined up uh, for us, uh, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. You can uh, check out the site uh, for updates and news and everything that you uh, would want to know uh, about Morales or uh, the show or about us. is all right there and also about the guests right there uh, for you to check out. Uh, send us an email info at Morelia Python. Uh, you can download the show on iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe there, uh, you know, every week. Like that. we're pretty consistent uh, with the show. Uh, so every Tuesday night, you'll get a little down iPhone or iPad or whatever it is and be able to listen to the show. Um, what Else, what else do we got? Uh, um, I think that's it for on radio. So, I guess the thing left is me, EB Morelia. Yeah, it is you. Right. Yep, <laughs> you can check out the site, ebmorelia.com. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact me at eric at ebmorelia. Please like the Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Eb Morelia. Uh, today I started to take pictures of 2014 babies that I'm going to be putting up for sale. So uh, be on the lookout for that. I know, right? 2014. Else is doing 2015 babies, and you're doing 2014 babies. <laughs> Dude, I gotta tell you, I, I tell you for today, right? So he was picking yeah. up his condros when he came over. Which one? Okay. On the babies, the babies that hatched out. Oh my God! You see some of the caramel jags, dude. Really? So cool. Yeah. Oh my God, they're sick, dude. They're sick. Yeah, sick, I'm sick, going to put under
2: wraps right now. I'm waiting for everything to shed some more. So that turned into you. Yeah. Nobody knows what I have over here.
1: Oh. oh, you're gonna hoard it up.
2: All right, man. Yeah, I'm going to <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, until they until they get a little bit bigger and shed nice. And basically, I just don't feel like taking pictures right now, so everybody's going to have to wait.
1: So, right. you know, yeah. So, uh, pretty excited about these tigers that have shed. Pretty freaking awesome. awesome. Yeah.
2: Uh, you, so you I'm feeling
1: gonna... any tiger head albino? No? No. No. <laughs> um, I'm going to be more of them next year. Don't worry. Don't worry. don't worry you're yeah. first on the list Damn <laughs> I, will, right, right? I, will that, I will get that uh every time every moment every other day i get a message dagger hat albinos, <laughs> Daggerhead albinos question, Mark. So, yeah no. Yeah. i'll no. wear you down <laughs> so uh yeah there's uh there's that going on yeah uh be on the lookout for if you're interested in some uh some carpet pythons we uh, have for sale. Also, I should just note that um, I've been sort of doing some rearranging a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm, I want to try to have a little... Uh, I'm just trying to find own steps a little bit and as far as uh, working with some different types of things and such. Um, so I've added some, some stuff with that. There is some carpets that... You know, just like Nick was saying, you know, you keep stuff back, and I would say that they're, you know, they're like A-grade, but I don't need five A-grades, so I'm yeah. probably going to be uh, going through the collection, and some are going to make it, some are not, so... I don't know if there's anybody out there that's interested in anything. Oh, and of course, you have first pick. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got some things that I'm going to be uh, going to be parting with uh, that are probably 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 pretty cool that people may want in their collection. So, be on the well, lookout I for that. I asked, you told me this, and I asked you questions, and I'm like, "Are you going to sell any of these?" You're like, "No."
2: I'm like, "Are you going to sell any of these?" You're like, "No." Like then, I don't care. You're like, but I'm gonna sell these. I'm like, I care again. Like now, like (laughs) Like, I don't give a damn. I'm gonna sell these. Oh, really? (laughs) So yeah, it's
1: yeah. It was intriguing. I like you say you say something like, and I can just hear your uh, your um your tone too.
4: Yeah. (laughs) 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 I don't care. I'll be like, don't care. Go on. <laughs>
2: Go on. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you have my, every once in a while, you'll do something on, like, the little message feed, and I'll, I'll message you back with, you, you now have my attention. So like yeah. While, I'm not really paying attention. Then you post up something like, you know, thinking about buying white lips, I'm like, you now have my attention. So, yeah, it's like, okay, now I'm paying attention now. Everything
1: else is gone. So, yeah. Go Very on. cool. So, so that's all I got. Uh, ebmuralia.com. Go ahead, Owen. Cool. Uh, what I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. We're in
2: the process of updating it. Um, so far, no babies from 2015 are up for sale yet, but they will be coming soon. We did get our table back, so we will be at the August 1st Hamburg
1: show. And hold on, is- hold on. I got. I got to. I got to throw a, a little plug in there for you. You, you're looking for a tiger. You should be watching for Owen's Tigers. I put some up for sale. Go ahead. Watch. All right.
2: So hopefully by August 1st, the Tigers will be up for sale. I put some pictures up, not a lot. Um, and then we're hoping for that. They're that all caramels. They, they are. <laughs> the Caramel Tiger jag uh, will be coming up uh, on their heels. Um, hopefully we'll have some of those babies left over uh, ready for August. If not, we do still have some leftover caramels, Caramel Jags, and Super Camel as along with Bread Lai, Dominican Red Mountain Boa, and some Coastals and Tigers from last year that are still here. So if you want something, let us know. If not, we'll see you in August. And then we're closing in on the Tinley uh, October show, too. So I'm getting excited about that. And hopefully I'll have a ton of babies for that. Yes. Because so, I'm going. I don't care. I don't know what he's doing, but I'm going.
1: So, I will be there. <laughs> actually the, the thing in, the, in my email today, so we're going to be booking the table. Sweet. Just an FYI. The table oh,
2: the this August Hamburg is... The, is. I finally get to show off the new logo and shit. Like, I had this whole table shut up, and I couldn't show it off yet. So, definitely come to August <laughs> Hamburg here in the area. Damn it. Cool. Anyway, <laughs> what I will say is, Thank you all for listening, and make sure to tune in us tune back in with us next week at the normal time, which is 9 o'clock, for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night, everyone.
0: Hey, Chad Brown here. You may remember me as a linebacker in the NFL or as a reptile breeder and the owner of Pro Exotics. I've been herping since I was a boy, and I've dedicated my life to advancing the industry and educating the community about the importance of reptiles. I also love to encourage the joy of breeding and keeping reptiles as a hobbyist, which is why my partner Robin Markland and I It's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our Buy Now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad. It also gets fed to the reptile report and our powerful marketplace Facebook page. Buying or selling? Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live, on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit thereptilereport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder. Then visit shipreptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related.